Hello and welcome to the Bond Revisited Podcast with me, Tom. And me, Joe. The podcast where we rewatch the Bond films one by one, discuss them, and then rank them alongside the other Bond films to build our own definitive list for the Bond franchise. You are listening to episode 25, where we'll be revisiting the film No Time to Die. So we've spoken about this film quite a lot as we've gone throughout the podcast, just me and you, like outside of the recordings. But it's not from like, oh, remember that film, what that film's going to be like. It's It was more like, well, these episodes keep getting longer and longer and longer. <laughs> and we yeah. know that No Time to Die <laughs> is the longest Bond film by a country mile. So it was almost like this thing in the distance that we were heading towards. And we were just like, had no idea what it was going to turn into when we got there. It, it was an impending doom that we cannot escape or avoid. Because we have to finish this podcast series. Yes. And last episode was almost seven hours. Mm-hmm. So let's just strap in and finish this off. <laughs> we were so young and naive. I, I remember when we were first starting like with the Goldfinger episodes, like, oh, that's a long one. Oh, No Time to Die could be four hours long. Goodness, Teehee, can you imagine? <laughs> Wait, Teehee? No, wrong film. No, that's a different, uh, yeah. That's when we got to Live and Let Die, then we were all like, Teehee. Yeah. yeah, yeah. no, we um, we definitely underestimated how long we could talk about Bond. <laughs> I know, it's, oh, it's hundreds of hours at this point, it's got to be, but I'm glad. It's, it's all on the table, and I'm glad to finally, like, come back here, because... There's a lot of like Bond revisited, like or this sort of thing of rewatch the Bond films, like podcasts out there. And from from what I can tell, a lot of them were very much about or oh, No Time to Die is either coming out or it's just come out. So it was all focused towards like bringing it to this single point. For us, not so much. I don't think. Mm. Yeah, I think for 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 me, and I'm sure for you as well, it was more of a holistic. It wasn't just because No Time to Die had come out. It, it was more. It was a long overdue thing anyway to go back and look at all of these Bond films. So, I mean, it's nice that there is this kind of... I'm glad we did this project after No Time to Die has come out because yeah. then that kind of wraps up Craig's era and puts a nice book into it all. Um, but no, I think it was it was something that was uh, well overdue for me to do anyway. Yes, and that 60th anniversary, I think we talked about it in episode zero all that time ago, but yeah, it was the 60th anniversary show that then got us interested in it. And yeah, it's just kind of perfect having this like complete set of Bond films. We haven't had that since like, I guess, Die Another Day, but even then yeah. it didn't really feel complete with Die Another Day being the most recent film. So I, I don't know when the last time you could ever say like, it's felt like there's been this complete set of Bond films. But here we are, and it, it's really cool that this is where we're at with the franchise. Yeah, I think, well, this this film, I don't know about you, but I think this is probably, No Time to Die is probably one of the, since it has now come out, one of the most contentious and divisive Bond films there is. Oh, And so that was why, so getting ready for this recording and having watched the film and made my notes and everything like that, I was very worried, and I've said before about, oh, I've been quite conflicted watching these past Bond films. This is, ignore all the other times I said that. This is the most, <laughs> this is the most okay. conflicted yeah. I have felt watching a Bond film. Um, and I, I do wonder, like, what other, because I just get, I just know out there, there are going to be people that really hate this film. And there are going to be other people that think it's, it's you know, uh, a return to, how things should be sort of thing. So, uh, and I still don't really know. 
Yeah, I, I've kind of somewhat managed to avoid all that. And I think some of that is tied to... Well, it's hard to talk about No Time to Die without talking about the pandemic. Like, this film was meant to come out in, I think, April 2020, which was still like five years after Spectre, but then the pandemic hit, so they had to delay it, and then eventually came out, I think, November 2021. Um, and I just feel like since the pandemic, the discourse in terms of how I interact with fans and read stuff, it's just kind of changed. So from my perspective, I haven't heard a massive amount about this film. Yes, I know there's places you can go and talk about it. And of course, there's podcasts like this one that you can get opinions. But I feel like with Spectre, I engaged a lot in terms of, you know, what that film was all about and how what people were saying about it, what those conversations were. No Time to Die, it just feels like my, my habits have sort of changed where I become not so much in a bubble, but just not quite connected to it. Um, but it sounds like you might have a more of a sense of the discourse around this film. But to me personally, I just go and watch the film and just see what happens. Maybe I'll talk to a few friends about it and then just kind of move on. Oh, and I see. I, that's one of the things I love doing is like after watching a film and then going online and sort of reading up reviews or people's videos. And there's so many Bond YouTube channels and stuff out there. And I've, I've watched, I watched all of them after seeing No Time to Die. Uh, and even quite, quite recently, some of them still doing videos on them. And it's now that the time has passed a bit since the film uh, come, came out and the the buzz of Bond died down again. And we're now back in that lull of just waiting for the next one. I think views have definitely changed as well. I think my own view has changed. I, I remember doing a bit of a review uh, like the day after it came out, after I went to go see it. And I'm sure that my opinions have changed already since then. So, yeah. Yeah, because I think some of this, I already mentioned the pandemic, but it's like my expectations of this film was massively warped by the fact that it got delayed and the fact that the world massively changed and the fact that seeing films became something very different. So initially I was kind of a bit annoyed that it got delayed because I was very excited for the film. But in the year and a half it took to come out, that just kind of disappeared. And there was more of a, a general indifference, I think, like, there wasn't this big excitement. There was somewhat of an excitement to going to the cinema again, which I did do with Tenant when that came out uh, in, like, August 2020, I think it was. But by the time we got to November 2021, it was like, yeah, it just felt like things had kind of changed. So I wasn't like, a, like oh, I don't want to see it. I still booked my tickets. I went to the BFI IMAX once again, <laughs> got, got nice. right in the middle. I did that whole process. So I was very excited to see it. But, yeah, there was almost this... Spectre was this huge deal and was very excited about it. There was a big build-up and it was three years after the fact, so it wasn't that long afterwards. This was like six years in a pandemic afterwards. So my expectations, I just didn't really have that much strong expectation of this film. And my general opinion of it coming out of it was like, I'm glad I saw it. I'm glad I exist. It was a decent ending for Bond and stuff. But I wasn't like, this is amazing or this is terrible. There was more of a kind of a, a disconnect with compared to like previous Bond films I had watched during the Craig era where I was perhaps a bit younger as well even after like three rounds of marketing campaigns it's I just know. <laughs> so many posters so many trailers for this film yeah. yeah you just get exhausted by it all a little bit and yeah that, that's kind of what I got um, which exhausted is not the thing you want for this film which is so ridiculously long that that is definitely not what you want. But again, I was still excited to see it, but it just felt like things had changed. And the fact that this film does things differently maybe is quite smart in some ways, but I'm jumping ahead now. 
Yeah, I think uh, it, memorable for sure. What they do with this film, perhaps not for the right reasons, everyone would would say, but uh, as as a way of capping off an era of Bond, it's definitely a a line in the sand. So, yeah, yeah. But no matter what you can say, this film was still quite successful. It didn't gross as much as Spectre or Skyfall. There was a little bit of a decline there, but I will say I I didn't know this at the time, but. You know, we're both in the UK. There was a lot of buzz around this. Bond does very well. Um, no Time to Die is the third highest grossing film of all time in the UK. Really? Yeah, like ever. Like, this is number three. Um, so oh, number one mm. is Star Wars The Force Awakens. Right. Number two is Skyfall. Oh, wow. <laughs> okay. And then number three is No Time to Die. And then underneath that, you got Spider-Man No Way Home and Avatar. Oh, I wonder if partly because of... I mean, yeah, that does surprise me. Not so much Skyfall. I, I expect that to be high and up there. But maybe it's just because there was not much out, else out <laughs> at the time. Uh, I think there was no a decent amount. I, it's just Bond. And I think the reception of this was quite... It was quite good. You know, it wasn't at a Skyfall level, but there was still like... It's the like there was still like this hype around it. You still kind of got that word of mouth. I think you know releasing it around Christmas, a lot of people are just going to see this film with families by default. Um, and also in a twist reveal, number six underneath Avatar is Spectre. So, <laughs> oh. and underneath that is Avengers Endgame. So I guess that hopefully uh, shows to people just how big of a deal these films are. But yeah, it did feel like No Time to Die was quite a big deal. Um, just. Yeah, it was the new Bond. It was this the last Craig film. There was somewhat of a hype. It just wasn't. It just wasn't the same, I suppose. Well, there's also all the stuff with like the script and the director. And it was one point it was Danny Boyle, and then he dropped out, and then it's Carrie Fukunaga, and then they had Phoebe Waller Bridge come in and do some of the script changes. There was all this, I guess, because they sort of had to. I don't know because it was drawn out over so long. You just heard so much more about the film than you maybe regularly would. Um, so yeah, I think by the time of actually seeing it, so many people had heard so much about it. Just get it out of the way. like <laughs> Just rip it off now, I'm done. Yeah, but that's what I think you were talking about before, how now time has passed. Like That's how it was then. And I think that's how it was for a lot of people. People wanted to see it. People did see it, especially in the UK. And it was this feeling of, okay, we're finally seeing this film and getting it done and out of the way. But now it's more... It's kind of a little bit more than that. It doesn't quite represent this relief or this kind of end of it. It is actually just the 25th film in the Bond franchise. And it will always be tied to the, the context of it for, for us because we saw it as it came out. But yeah, it was ve definitely very exciting or very interesting for me to, to come back and watch it. Because I only saw it once in the cinema and that was it. This is the second time I've ever seen this film. So oh, wow. I've never had that second viewing to kind of, you know, figure out my thoughts on it. I just had my general impressions and of course there would be stuff I forget because of how bloody long it is. Um, but this was kind of a good chance for me to go back, watch it, watch it in the context of the franchise as a whole and actually like figure out what I thought of it because I, I never actually did that until this point. Well, I'm interested to hear what you think. Well, I hope so because you're going to be hearing it a lot <laughs> over the next number of hours. <laughs> oh, yeah. Okay, so let's start. Um, so... We straight away get the the logos, the MGM, uh, very nice looking MGM logo. I, I'll give them compliments for that. Very shiny lion we get there. They, they, I think they redid the lion. They made it, it looked all... very new. Like it had yeah. that. This film has a little bit of that. That like sharp CGI look. If yeah. You know what oh I mean. yeah 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 yeah. Yeah, uh, but we get some like 
opening bond sounding note straight away like the strings like that sort of thing and we get some of the bond horns as well and we get the circles the circles come across and then it comes across again and bond walks and they redid the walk and the shoot and the shooting mm-hmm. um which I find quite interesting. It potentially means that Craig has the most unique walk and shoot, like shooting in, uh, out of any Bond. I don't think anyone else shot as many as he did. No, typically it was just, you know, the one and done, and then they use that. So even though Roger Moore was like 20 years older. Yeah, I think Roger Moore had two, didn't he? The first two films, and then The Spy Who Loved Me, they just used that throughout. Yeah. Pierce Brosnan, I think, maybe had two. And then I want to say Sean Connery, well, it wasn't even him most of the time. So most that of the time. Count. <laughs> and then, yeah. yeah, Timothy Dalton would have done it more than twice. But uh, with this one, we got the the one at the end of Quantum of Solace, the one at the end of Skyfall, the one at the start of Spectre, and then they reshot it again. So he got four more than anyone. We're spoiled for gun barrels. We really are. However, um, the, the thing before the gun barrel was quite interesting, uh, at least for us here in outside of America, I suppose. Where because this film was published by Universal, like mm. the Universal Globe turns into the dot, the Americans wouldn't have saw that. Sorry, Americans, because that was by United Artists still. Um, but I thought that was quite a cool, a cool way of uh, you know incorporating the Universal thing. Yeah, kind I of obvious. So, but, right? I mean, yeah. I think it was black and white as well for whatever reason. But yeah, yeah, that's fine. Yeah, uh, yeah. So again, it's it's not bad from Craig. It's not a bad walk and shoot. I don't like his short hair. It, it's something I find quite odd about Craig's look, where Bond has short hair and Craig has short hair in these films. But sometimes he just has almost like a buzz cut and it makes his head look strange. And it's like, <laughs> he looks weird because he's doing that. It's almost like they shot this separately. Like maybe they shot this after the film was actually done. Like they might have shot this in like 2021 or something. Because he looks different to the rest of the film. He looks maybe even a little bit more butch or something. I don't know. It just looks very strange. It doesn't quite look correct to me. But again, the walk and shoot was fine. I just don't like Buzzcut Craig. It's too much for me. I didn't really see much of Craig. I was too busy looking at the... I liked how they did the reflections. Oh, like yeah, when, I knew. I, where the scene goes that, into. You know me, I'm all about the gun barrel. Yeah. So uh, like when you saw the reflections of the snow and the trees and the gun barrels, I was like, oh, that's nice. Yeah, that's good. Give me more of that. Yeah, so we're back to like CGI with the gun barrels, but it, it, it just looks quite nice. Like, yeah, it doesn't look cheap. It doesn't look too blurry or too crappy. It just looks like genuine reflections inside the gun barrel. So it's like, okay, nice, cool. They can now, now just actually do like a CGI gun barrel and have it look good without it being like super stylized or weird. So it's like, yeah, that's nice. I like that. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, so quite uniquely, so we do go from the gun barrel into the film but normally they would have the circle go across and then that would expand and there you go. But this time, the frame like from the gun barrel, the camera like moves forward and the scene of these trees and this snow then appear, but that's all reflected in the gun barrel. So it's like that scene appears, it's reflected in, and then you kind of like pan from the gun barrel out of the gun barrel to the scene itself. So yeah, nice little style points there, I suppose. This film has a lot of that, where it's it's quite inconsequential stuff, but just a few little stylish uh, flourishes that, that I can appreciate. Don't really change much, but I like it. Yeah, like we're 25 films in. You, you get to do that sort of thing. You're, 
you know, I've complained about the gun barrel and stuff and them not using it correctly, but we saw Inspector, we're now seeing it in this film. You get to mix up a little bit. And uh, yeah, I guess you can say that, yeah, about a lot of this film. It's like you get the core stuff right, so you get to mix it up a little bit and have fun with it. That's totally fine. Mm. So we have shots, yeah, pointing down at some trees in the snow, and we then see somebody walking through these trees. And in the distance, there's like a clearing and there's a house. And we go inside the house and we hear someone listening to some French music and somebody is smoking, lying on a sofa. We don't see what they look like, but we see a lot of drugs and pills and alcohol everywhere. And we cut to upstairs where there's a girl who is talking French to herself. Um, I think they do say what her age was. Is she meant to be five? Or is that, five? Is that too low? What age is she meant to be? I'd have thought maybe like 10. I thought 10. Maybe I misheard yeah. that. I thought at some point she says, oh, he came to my house when I was like five. But Oh, the last film you're referring to. Oh, I don't know. I don't know if she yeah, said her age in the last one. This get, Yeah, this gets a little messy in my head. Uh, more than it yeah. needs to be anyway. Uh, so she's playing Tamagotchi um, because the timeline of this film, I guess, I'm trying to figure this out in my head, because they do, I think, confirm that Vesper died in 2006. Yeah. So, yeah. Okay, I, actually, I'm not going to figure it out. Not at this time. It, Maybe we'll return yeah. to that. <laughs> it's <laughs> but, not worth it. Yeah, but I guess they decided with the timeline of the film, this would have taken place in the 90s and Tamagotchi was big in the 90s. So she's playing on a Tamagotchi. And the her mother calls down for her. And she's, yeah, so the girl goes downstairs and the mum is like lying on the sofa and she's like, oh, I'm thirsty. And we see like a, a shot... Like, yeah, the girl goes downstairs after hearing that the mom's saying she's thirsty. And the shot kind of, like, carries on upstairs. But this time it's, like, showing this this triangle window. And we see the man still approaching outside, like, getting closer. Um, because this house is quite interesting. It is very much a... It's, like, almost open plan where you got the bottom thing. And then you got, like, a spiral staircase going up to the to the bedroom. But there's, like, no... It's not, like, two floors. There's no, like... Um, yeah, there's no like floor separating them as such. It's quite open plan. So yes, yeah, so the girl is pouring some wine. She gives it to her mum. And the girl is saying, I'm waiting for Papa to, to come home. And the girl is saying how, uh, yeah, he's a doctor and he heals people. And the mum just kind of laughs and saying, ah, oh, no, he kills people. He doesn't heal them. And is that who you love? Murderers? And the mum kind of is a little bit out of it and she drops the wine so the girl goes underneath the the kitchen sink and gets some bleach and then starts cleaning it and we kind of see like a a shadow go over the girl a little bit or goes past i think and the mum at this point is completely passed out and the girl tries to wake the mum up because she she kind of notices the shadow i think and just realizes something is wrong and then she kind of looks outside and there's like a jump scare of this man in a white mask. So the person who was approaching the house is now right up against the window. And when I say jump scare, it's like you get the classic like dun dun. It's like, oh, oh yeah. Oh yeah, no. yeah. <laughs> Sorry. So the girl runs off and tries to open this security door, tries to get into this secret room, and we see shots inside this room and we see a spectre ring. Like the the one we saw in the last film with the little octopus on it. Very that exact ring is inside that room so we see inside there's also like security cameras of the house and i think we see the man 
in one of the shots and the girl as well. Um, so this the man in the mask breaks what breaks in the door, gets in. So the girl closes another door and like runs away, runs upstairs, and the masked man slowly approaches the door and opens it up. And he then goes up to the mum on the sofa and says, "Is Mister White home?" And she says, "No." We see the girl is hiding upstairs still, and the man starts saying, "Oh, your husband killed my family," and he just shoots shoots the mother on the sofa. There's no blood or anything, just like a few shots of like a silenced assault rifle or something, just dun 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 and, and dead. Um, so the masked man then starts limping upstairs or starts limping around, and there's a shot of the cupboard under the sink showing the door open. So it's a very quick shot, but if you if you know what happened or if you remember certain things in the last film, that makes this stuff kind of make a lot more sense. Um, and that does mean something based on what was said in the last film. Yeah. Um, so then we get a panning shot that goes upstairs and the masked man going upstairs and on the TV, there's Wallace and Gromit. So it's like, yay. For some reason, the wrong trousers. Love it. Yeah, classic. Um, so the, yeah, the girl is still hiding. We see her, I'm not sure exactly where she's hiding, maybe under the bed, something like that. But the masked man is walking around and then goes to leave and the Tamagotchi starts beeping. And he stops. And he then goes to shoot, but the girl pops up from her hiding spot and shoots first because she has a gun and shoots him off the top and he falls down and lands and the masked man is dead on the floor. And it also shows that his mask has been broken. So it was like this white mask covering his face, but like half of the bottom half of it has been snapped off. Um, so the girl starts crying after seeing her mother. And then we cut to her dragging the masked man's body through the house. And then we cut to her outside in the snow. And at this point, the man kind of gasps awake and he sits up. So he's okay. And the girl just starts running, running away and runs onto a frozen lake. The masked man kind of limps after her. But the girl, after running onto the lake, then stops. And the ice crack. The ice starts like cracking below her. And this eventually causes it to break and she drops into the lake. And she's stuck underneath the ice. She can't find her way back up. She's swimming underneath there, can't get out. And the masked man sees her underneath and points a gun at her. And he waits for a second. And then decides to fire all around her, punches through the ice and pulls her out. And then as she comes to, we cut to Swan. As she is pulled out the ocean, we cut to Swan coming out the ocean. And she's swimming near the edge of this island we got Bond in some swim shorts nearby. They smile at each other. And Bond asks, are you okay? She smiles and says, yes. So that's part one of our yeah. opening <laughs> sequence. Yeah. Yeah. It, it gets a little bit confusing there. So I think what that last shot kind of confirms is that this is Swan. So this is somebody's coming to Swan's house, who is the daughter of Mr. White. He says explicitly Mr. White. Um, so, yeah, so there's quite a few clues here. They never actually explicitly say Swan, but I think... I mean, I don't know if someone who didn't see Spectre or hadn't seen it for ages would put that together. I guess maybe not. Um, but that very last shot of the girl coming out of the thing and Swan coming out of the thing, to me, that should be like, yeah, okay, that's the same person. That's why they would they would do that shot. Yeah. I think if you are... If you happen to have just seen this film in isolation... Um without seeing Spectre or whatnot, then yeah, that that's obviously... The, the match cut effect of it is more than enough to sell that. But 
if you are a Bond fan, you will you kind of you'll you'll know who Mr. White is. You'll you'll remember the gun under the sink that she mentioned about from the previous film. The fact that she's French and Bond's French, so it all adds up. And it's kind of nice that we're we're getting this insight into a a story that was teased in the in the previous film. So I feel like we touched upon this last time. Is this the same instance, like the same occurrence that she said on the train that someone tried to came to my house? And I shot and killed them using the gun under the sink. Yes. It is the same. Yeah, although it's confusing because when I was watching Spectre, uh, later on in that film, Blofeld says, oh, the last time I saw you, you were a little girl. So I thought, oh, maybe that was, it was Blofeld at another time come to see her. But no, it must have been, it must have been this one. It all adds up a bit more. Okay, that that's what I thought. But you said it wasn't last time. Um, but I, yeah, I, yeah. I assume that Blofeld was a separate instance of coming to the house it had nothing really to do with this yeah see i i when when he said that that's what i thought it was referring to but then then seeing this i was like oh right yeah that that makes more sense okay (laughs) and then i think she does she might say i was 10 when this happened oh okay in the last film (laughs) i get it the timeline's not too bad but if you want to get into the numbers that's i guess that's another story i usually do like to get into the numbers but I, i guess i should try and avoid that for how much is going on with this film, probably not a smart idea, but mm. yeah, that that is when she was 10. So I guess that would have taken... No, no, never mind. It doesn't matter. It's fine. Um, so I, I quite like this opening. I think the important thing about this is that with Spectre almost giving you like this half ending and being all about, it was Blofeld all along, people. Oh no, Spectre. And then giving you this like out. It's almost like, I remember thinking with this film, it's like, how can you possibly follow that? Like, how can you get another story out of this and have it be like this ending? And I think by kind of tying stuff to what we heard in Spectre before, but having it be something completely different, it almost like re-injects the mystery in terms of like what's going on. Because Spectre was all about like, this is what was going on. So you kind of need a little bit of this, I think, just to keep the intrigue up because you don't fully know what's going on. You can piece some stuff together, but I think it gives you a really nice sense of like mystery right off the bat, which I think for having a, a brand new film like this is probably very much needed. Yeah. Uh, yeah. It's like if they, if they get to that point where they've, Blofeld is, is arrested and that's that and Spectre's done, what do you do? You just write something else. <laughs> yeah. You come up with another character and I, but the the smart thing is how they have weaved it into the existing plot lines that have been set up before. So, uh, yeah, I'm glad that they still have that link. I think I think dropping Spectre and everything like that for Craig's last film after all the setup to it and the 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 changes that they had to make to kind of explain some things, it would have been silly for them just to drop it at this last one and just have something completely separate. Uh, so yeah, what they, what do they do? They just write another character in there, write write a bit more mystery to it. That's fine. Yeah, and yeah, and as you say, tie to Spectre. The fact that you get to see that ring straight away is, I think, quite cool. Um, and I quite like how they use that icon throughout this film. If I'm being honest, uh, but and also it, it's kind of a first for the franchise. And I think it it was quite smart to do this. Is that this isn't really about Bond at all? Like, yes, it it ties into Bond and his story for this film, but this really doesn't involve him and i don't think we've ever seen a bond film where you start off and you see something that 100 percent just does not involve bond or at least not to this extent yeah 
I, I can't think of anything like this. It's this is this is all about Swan. It's all about family. Yes. Like you might family. I think maybe the Spy Who Loved Me started with the the Anya stuff, something like that. But even then it very quickly cut back to Bond. Mm. Um, so there, there's been little bits of hints of that and i guess for your eyes only has the ship so i suppose there are versions of this but yeah again having like this little girl running around and shooting someone and tying it to a different character like normally if they were to do something disconnected from bond it would be this like yeah this oh no our ship has sunk boohoo uh, it would be like that but this is like no this is a character that you know and the history of this specific character and it's the character of someone that isn't Bond, which A, I quite like. I don't want flashbacks to James Bond. That sounds terrible. I don't want to see it. De-aged Daniel Craig. Yeah, I don't want to see that at Skyfall. That sounds like a bad time. Um, But obviously this builds more into the mystery by having it be Swan's character, which of course at this point you know is an important character. So I think, I guess the point I was trying to get to is that this creates a different tone and feeling to some other Bond films which is good because you need that because this is going to be different to what you've seen before. There's some classic Bond stuff here, but the whole point in this film is that it's the last one for Craig. It's the last one of this story. We're going to tie it to the story, but it like sets, I think, correct expectations that if you're expecting a standard Bond film, well, I feel like this intro kind of right off the bat says no. Like it's it's simply not going to be that because look at how this sequence plays out. Yeah, and it gives it gives attention to Swan, who is a very big character, bigger than she was in Spectre, and a, a large portion of what we're going to see in this film, and and the subversions that it does to the typical Bond formula is because of her. So they need to give her time, and I think they do it quite well in this this scene. And it's also just quite a well shot scene. Like it's it's creepy. It has a couple jump scare <laughs> yeah. bits and. I like the the kind of limping figure ominously walking towards them. That shot through the window. Um, I'm in two minds about the mask. I'm going to be honest with you. I don't hate the mask. Uh, it's almost kind of cheesy, which I like having having a, a, a creepy looking mask. But also, it does also just seem a bit of an easy way to make things look creepier. It's like, oh, let's just give him this happy or like weird looking mask. It reminds me of a horror film that come out, like a franchise that came out last few years back or something where there's masks in it but um and also i think part of me thinks that they maybe thought oh the fans are going to love the mask it's going to become such an iconic visual to the bond franchise and it's like nah (laughs) that hasn't really happened at least not for me i don't really care about it very much doesn't doesn't look that great it's not something i look at and be like oh it's not like um i don't know jaws's teeth or something but uh (laughs) i love jaws's teeth I love to yeah, go some. see it. <laughs> you can buy some on the 007 store. Um, but no, it, it's fine. It, it does the job in this scene, I think. Yeah, I mean, the Bond franchise is not the Star Wars franchise, so you can't just release a mask and have that be like 50% of the character, like <laughs> like the yeah. Kylo Ren or Darth Vader or whatever. But again, that's fine. I quite like the mask, I think. As you say, it's it's not really that iconic or anything like that. And I think maybe a little bit more thought needed to be tied into how this fits into this character's, well, character. It kind of does, I think, but I don't know if it's really explored enough because it's almost got this, like, dull, like, quality, but I don't think that really fits into his personality. Like, it fits into the history of the character, but it doesn't fit strongly into his uh, personality. But but mm. you are right, it, it builds a lot of tension into this. I think it's, 
I quite like seeing snow. I quite like snow settings. And I don't think for the rest of the film we get any proper snow. Um, so I think maybe having this... I might be wrong on that, but I think having this one scene gives you a little bit of visual variety right up the right up front without kind of like wasting a location almost. Like you get yeah. this creepy scene in the snow where this frozen lake and this house and stuff and you get to kind of enjoy that. But you take off snow, everyone's happy, and then you can kind of like move on to other settings and have those be a bit more of a, a focal point for the rest of the film. So you can tell this is a different sort of Bond film because if it was like a a regular one, there would have been a ski chase between this masked man and Madeline Swan. Yeah, with Beach Boys playing over the top. With Beach Boys, yeah, or some nineties, I don't know, uh, NSYNC playing over oh, it instead gosh. this time. <laughs> That's terrible. <laughs> uh, but yeah, you're right. It's like the tension in this one, like with the jump scare and stuff. There's been jump scares in Bond films, but yeah, very interesting that it's shot in this very tense way. Like in terms of films in general, yeah, Boogeyman Chasing Girl, not very original or interesting. But yeah, I think it's it's interesting to start a Bond film this way. Yeah. So yeah, so we have cut to Bond and Swan. So they're kind of out with this island and we kind of fade to them driving along this like mountainside road. And this is all somewhere in Italy again. Like I'm getting a bit sick of Italy. <laughs> it's a nice place, but come on, guys. Enough with Italy. Um, but yeah, like going along some of those Italian kind of coastlines near the mountain by the, the the ocean or the sea, and they're both in the car driving the Aston Martin DB5 from the last film, and Bond asks, how's the view? And she says, it's growing on me. So she's kind of like all over him a little bit as he's driving, and Swan's like, ah, oh, go faster, go faster. And Bond replies by saying, we have all the time in the world. So oh she, my. Yeah, so she leans on him and we kind of get like the score has a bit of all the time in the world that the original song from Under Majesty's Secret Service. I think that plays a little bit as part of the score. And they arrive at a town and it's kind of in the evening and Bond parks up and they get out of the car and they're kind of like there's a valet, but then they're kind of being escorted to their room, which is like it's quite this it's quite a small town, but it's like quite built. It's quite mountainous. Um, I feel like and yeah it's quite slopes and stuff so they're kind of outside going up this hill to their room with somebody carrying their bags and you can hear the sounds of people celebrating and Bond kind of looks behind him and Swan notices it and says you uh, you don't have to look over your shoulder and there's like a little bit of flirty back and forth about this they're bickering but again it's very flirty bickery and things like that and we see some bits of paper uh, that are on fire, like falling down in front of them. And Bond asks the man carrying the bags, what are they burning? And he's like, secrets, wishes, letting go of the past, out with the old and in with the new. And Bond and Swan then get to their room and lots of kissing and they then start undressing. Uh, so I, I want to talk about the On Majesty of Services uh, service uh, references right off the bat. <laughs> because uh, because i feel like obviously having the music in there is a really nice touch but i quite like the idea of bond saying we have all the time in the world because it kind of straight away is like well and that's what i like about the beginning of this film right if you're a bond fan and you know a lot of this stuff like with swan you can kind of piece stuff together and that's quite satisfying and i quite liked hearing that line from bond because you know that is not a positive line <laughs> Yes, exactly. That's exactly what I wrote. It's 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 very doom, doom-esque for a Bond fan. You know 
that it sounds nice, but actually it means something bad is going to happen very soon. <laughs> yes, it's like the same thing of them driving in this car all being very happy in the same line that we got on A Majesty's Secret Service at the end. It's the equivalent of someone in a, in a different film saying, well, I guess everything's going to be okay. <laughs> <laughs> and that means everything is suddenly not going to be okay. Yeah. Uh, yeah, so that's quite nice. And having that music there, again, it's very romantic face value, but I, I appreciate it as someone who's recently watched all these films. Like, you get those references, and I'm like, that's great. Like, even though this feels quite differently, building in these Bond references right off the bat, I think, was a very smart move. And one of the things that I, I'm already getting into the sort of discourse that I mentioned earlier on, but one of the things that I think a lot of complaints come up with this film is the. Re- uh, not reliance, but just the inclusion of these uh, callbacks with the soundtrack and we have all the time in the world and how it feels a bit unearned um, and just a bit lazy. But I say to that, that Bond, Bond series has been going for 60 years and has such a fruitful history with music that I, I think it's fair to to be able to go back sometimes and, and pluck out a few iconic bits of music I don't. I I wouldn't count that as lazy or necessarily just fan service, especially in this regard where we're saying that there is a a plot element to it as well. There's more than just a nice bit of music to it. But I think like they didn't overdo it with this film. They have a couple bits of music from the past Bond films, and I think that's absolutely fine to do. Yeah, like I think that's that's interesting, and you know, this film is this twenty fifth one. It is the last one of Craig. I would kind of expect this stuff to be in there. And I much prefer this approach to what we got with Spectre, where they just... Because I guess, broadly speaking, what I get from this film is that the guy, the people behind it had a lot of respect for the franchise. Mm. That's what I get from this film. And that's why this stuff is here, because they're trying to do a lot new and change things, but they're not forgetting about the past, and they're trying to build that past and history into the film to make it feel like a satisfying conclusion in a way that respects it and plays homage to it and also like then builds on it to do what they wanted to do. Where something like Spectre just kind of ignores it and it comes across as just a bit, not arrogant, maybe that's not the right word, but you know, they almost are like dismissing some of that heritage while also trying to have that heritage and it gets a little bit muddled. But watching this film, I think they build it in a way that shows respect and i think the the people behind it kind of knew that and i think that just comes across maybe for some people that doesn't come across but for me this totally felt like people who knew bonds and respected the franchise a ton this didn't feel like arrogance stomping all over it so to me this feels like a, a love letter to fans having this stuff in here and as you say they tie it into the film it's not just oh look a reference and move on it makes sense so to me yeah. i i mostly love this stuff good uh, yeah, so we then cut to... So yeah, Bond and Swan are in their hotel room. They were kissing, so we cut to them in bed and they're listening to a record, some Italian music. I couldn't tell you what that is. And Bond asks, where did Swan go today? By the water. So mentally, where did she disappear to when she didn't seem like she was okay? And she says, well, I'll tell you if you tell me about Vesper. And then Bond asks, well, is that why we're here? And she says, yes, Vesper is buried here. And Bond like quickly kind of cuts in and says, yes, I know where she's buried. And Swan says, can you forgive her for us? But Bond says, well, I left that. I left her behind a long time ago. But Swan says, well, as long as you're looking over your shoulder, the past is not dead. And you have to let her go, even if it's hard. 
So Bond replies by saying, if we're to have a future, do I need to do this? And she says, yes. And it's like, so if I do this then? And Swan says, I'll tell you all my secrets. So Bond agrees. And Swan then writes something down in French on a piece of paper and goes up to the balcony and and burns it as part of this like festival. I don't think they give it a proper name, but it is some sort of like celebration that's happening in this town where people are burning pieces of paper to to let go of the past. Um, Mm. So we then fade to the morning and Bond writes something on a piece of paper and he kisses Bond, who is still asleep in bed. And Bond then says she like half wakes up. So Bond says, I'm going to go do this and then come back for breakfast. And then you're going to tell me where we're going next. So we get some like panning shots of this town and we kind of see kind of Bond going out of the town a little bit to like the graveyard. And there's like uh, two people kind of on the outside of this graveyard, someone in like a a house, a very small hut almost. And he speaks to them. And then like a younger man who's on his phone is then like told to, you know, go show the man, go show Bond wherever he wants to go. And we see them like climb up to the top of the hill and they arrive. And what are the name of these things, by the way? I couldn't remember when I was watching this. Like they're not like you wouldn't just call them graves, do you? They, I think they do have a proper name. Uh, tomb, tomb, maybe a tomb. Yeah, just like those small kind of like outside structures that has like a load of people in it. I swear it has some sort of name, like something Liam or something. Um, oh, mausoleum. Mausoleum. Yeah, maybe it's that. Um, maybe. Yeah. So yeah, but we see. Vespa's grave and very conveniently there's a picture of her on it which is nice <laughs> didn't know they did that but all right fine uh, yeah can we just point out that picture though that uh, why 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 did they have to go with that one for I mean I, it's, I think I know why they did but it it really does stand out <laughs> like, yeah. because I saw this I saw this picture where someone put the actual frame of Casino Royale where they got that from I think I might have mentioned this in the Casino Royale one um it's it's literally just her from the film. It looks so stupid that it's now on now on her tomb. Uh, I guess it's because they have the rights to it already, so they didn't need to worry about that. Yeah, I I just think don't use a picture. Just don't have a picture. It's fine. It's okay. But who's Vespa? I won't know unless I I can see what she looks like. Oh. Even then, like Bond fans know who that is, so wouldn't need the picture. If you don't know who that is, would the picture be like oh just, yeah, Eva Green? Sure, <laughs> why not? <laughs> oh her yeah you're right it doesn't it's just unnecessary on both levels yeah it's like for all the faults of the for your eyes only opening sequence they at least just said like tracy bond and left it at that there was no picture (laughs) of like diane riggs on it because you don't do that on a grave you don't do that no not like that no That that was bad no so yeah and it says the year she died i think it does say 2006 i didn't write that down but i'm pretty sure it does Mm-hmm. And Bond stares at it and says, I miss you. Oh. And we get some mu- I believe this music is from Casino Royale. Is it yeah. Vespa's theme specifically? Yeah, definitely. Okay, cool. I thought so. I just want I want to check with the expert first. <laughs> just to be sure. All about that Vespa theme. Yeah. So yeah, we get the Vespa theme, the piano, and Bond takes the piece of paper that he had and he burns it and it says forgive me on it. And then he drops it. But as he sees it go down to the ground, he sees a little card on the ground and it has the Spectre logo on it. And the grave explodes and it sends Bond flying back. And I love that moment so much. Like, (laughs) I was just like, yeah, Spectre, Spectre are back. And this is what I'm kind of talking about, like showing respect to the older ones. Like, 
this might not feel that much like a Craig Spectre, but this to me totally feels like something Spectre would do. They would totally booby trap a grave and be so arrogant and so silly that it'd be like, we'll leave their card there with the little logo on it. <laughs> like it feels so almost cartoony, but not too cartoony that it's dumb, but just cartoony enough where I'm like, ah, oh, that's the Spectre I know and love. Up yeah. to their old the- tricks. <laughs> the business card was a nice touch. I wonder like, if that's Blofeld's number on the back. His cell number. <laughs> That'd be nice. Uh, and yeah, while I've stopped anyway, uh, I overall quite like this moment because that's basically what we get. And it, it's like what we've said in the past. When you want to do this emotional stuff with Bond, you don't want to draw it out. You don't want it to be super long. We've seen this stuff quite a bit and heard about it with Vesper quite a bit as well. So just saying I miss you, just Bond like saying that and recognizing that and having the music do some of this heavy lifting is all you need. And I think it's kind of incredibly effective with doing a a small amount, which is good for a Bond film. Yeah. No, I think it was... I don't know if it's quite a... I don't know if it's quite the wrap-up that I think some people would want, because then it is very quickly interrupted by (laughs) the explosion. Um, But I'm, I'm, I'm glad it's there. I think we've heard so much about Vesper and all these films, and it's meant to be the 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 big part of Bond's character for Craig's Bond anyway and, and the effect on on him that just getting this small sense of closure before the plot actually kind of kicks in properly. Uh as you as you mentioned, it just shows a bit of respect to the, the predecessors of it and I think um it was it was good to include. Yeah, it's like it's I don't want to spend too much time on Vesper again. But I did get the sense from like Spectre and stuff that when they put those references in, yeah, Bond just tossed away the videotape, but I didn't take that as he had moved on. In his head, he thought he had, but it, yeah, that baggage still felt present to me anyway due to his non-reaction. So I think just having a little bit here, which is just a small acknowledgement, very smart. That just, it just gives you that. It kind of tight, you know, this is with this being the fifth one, it ties the first film Casino Royale to this one without being too in your face. It makes sense he would come here. It makes sense that you can't really look to the future without looking to the past a little bit. Yeah, it's I, I like it. It's nice. Mm. Uh, yeah, so with the explosion, Bond has kind of been knocked back. He doesn't get killed or all that hurt, really, but we get a strong ringing in his ears. He can't really hear. and he's, Well, actually, he's passed out on the floor for a little bit. And like we get a camera shot showing Bond on the floor, and then it kind of like goes over to him. And when it kind of reaches him, he just like suddenly comes awake and gasps for air. And we get all that very like shell shocked, messed up audio where a load of like the channels and stuff are cut out. So you're kind of hearing what Bond is supposed to be hearing. And he then reaches for his phone and he calls and shouts Madeline. The audio is still kind of messed up, and Bond starts like running. He starts running off. And we kind of get like some synth music kicking in here as well, which is quite nice. And yeah, we see where that hut was before, where the man was. We see a phone left hanging on the wall and it's been like disconnected and we hear like the beeping sound. So Bond is running and the the guy that was on the phone before, the young guy who showed Bond to the grave, he sees him and that guy stops and so does Bond. And they're on a, is this a bridge that they're standing on at the moment? I guess it's like a bridge aqueduct looking thing. I don't know how what the right term is for it, but it has like yeah, like arches underneath it. 
and stuff. Yeah, it's like bridges on top of bridges. It's like part of this town because this this is like an old Italian town built into these mountains somewhat. You get some very like unique structures and stuff, and the unique way it's been built. So yeah, we got like this bridge, but yeah, it's got like viaduct. Layers. Yeah, viaduct. That's what it's called. That's there you the go. One. So yeah, on the Aqueduct. on the top of viaduct. <laughs> Close enough. Yeah. Um. So yes, Bond sees the man who was there before, and they both stop. And a car then drives at Bond and starts shooting. And it, it just kind of goes past. And then some... Actually, is this the one where he dives below and the car, like, bounces over that little... Yeah, it's like a little stone bit sticking out at the bottom. Yeah, because Bond is kind of surrounded. So he very quickly jumps there and then it bounces over him. Um, so it goes past... And then somebody on a bike appears. So the car turns... It's either the same car or a different car. That's on one side of the viaduct. A man on a bike appears on the other side. He's surrounded. So Bond decides, I'm just going to jump off. Uh, so there's like these cables along the side of this viaduct, uh, along the ledge, which is, I guess, holding it together because it's probably quite old. So he grabs the cable and he like swings all the way down and he lands underneath onto one of like these other arches down below. And the man on the bike takes off his sunglasses and he has a fake eye. You don't get a massive good look at it, but one of his eyes doesn't move properly. So it looks very fake. looks quite off. So he then, this guy directs the car to move. And we see Bond running. And he kind of like gets out of there, makes it to some stairs. And he he runs up the top of these stairs. And he then stops because the man on the bike is like right there. And Bond runs at him and knocks him off the bike. And they start like fighting each other and Bond grabs a washing line nearby and starts choking the guy with the washing line. So this eyeball guy says Blofeld sends his regards and he starts saying that Madeline is a daughter of Spectre. So Bond knocks him out, which causes his eye to fall out and rolls. And it looks like it was some sort of like electric, electronic eye, some sort of gadget. So Bond steals the bike and starts driving through the alleyways and... He goes up these ramps and, yeah, get a very unique kind of setting here. It's all kind of quite small rows, but it's all kind of built up. So there's a funeral line, which Bond manages to avoid by shooting up a building and then using, like, the roof of the building as a ramp to, like, launch himself, um, like, yeah, to get away. And then he gets to the hotel. He just drops the bike and storms off. And someone at the hotel saying... Uh, Sir, your your bags are already down. They're already here, as your wife requested. So we see Swan putting on some lipstick, and Bond then appears in her mirror. And Bond looks terrible at this point. He's been through quite a bit, explosions and stuff, and he's all like, you're right, letting go is hard. So Swan's like, well, what happens? And Bond grabs her and starts shouting, saying like, how did they know I was here? How did they know I was here? She says, I have no idea. Uh, I didn't. I didn't say anything. And at this point, her, I think her phone rings, um, but they just go. And Bond grabs her, says we're leaving. They get into the Aston Martin, the DB5, and Swan starts saying, "There's something I need to tell you." But Bond speeds off, and a load of black cars kind of appear, and the bike appears again. So they're being chased through this town with them right behind them, and Bond is just going very fast. And Swan's phone rings, and Bond shouts at her to pick it up, and. <laughs> <laughs> this is so silly you see the screen of the phone and it like corrupts and a spectre logo appears oh it's been hacked it's been hacked no not spectre 
So the voice, they answer and says, the voice says, it's Blofeld, my love. Your father would be so proud of you. Your sacrifice will be our glory. And she's all like, I don't understand uh, what's happening. So we then quickly cut to a man who's like in the middle of a barn for the sheep. And he answers his phone and they're like, let out all the sheep. And he's like, why? He's like, because if you don't, I'll kill you. So anyway, uh, back to the DB5. That's speeding away. <laughs> Just had to get that in there. Yeah. Otherwise, you would have no idea why the sheep were there. That would be so confusing. Uh, so, uh, they really needed that set up, honestly. Uh, uh, I'm so glad. The, the, the storytelling on display here is just top tier, you know. <laughs> the way it all comes together, you saw the sheep and then the sheep appear. It's very satisfying stuff. No one will be there in the cinema saying, why are there sheep there? What? Sheep? In an Italian small town? Come on. (laughs) (laughs) I get the spectre hacking on the phone. That makes sense to me. (laughs) Not the sheep. Not the sheep. No, so, yeah, Swan's saying in the car, like, why would I betray you? So Bond says, well, we all have our secrets. We just didn't get to yours yet. So Bond kind of gets blocked by a car and swerves around a corner to avoid it, but he drops a load of, like, black little spike bombs they look like mini mines almost like sea mines and that blows up the car and then the sheep block the road so he just goes down a different corner so that was the oh yeah there was sheep so he just goes somewhere else oh okay then i guess that was to show specter's influence they can make sheep if they need sheep they'll make sheep appear they're so powerful they're everywhere all the shepherds under their control (laughs) You see the shepherds with the spectre ring give it a kiss <laughs> for Blofeld. <laughs> uh, yeah, so he goes around the corner. I think we get a little bit of Bond theme here, a little bit of like, or Bond horns anyway, like that very classic Bond sound. And I think Swan starts then saying, I'd rather die than, but she's interrupted because their car gets smashed into the side of someone like, uh, yeah, smashes into them and it causes both cars to stop and it goes a bit. Well, I would say it goes quiet, but after they both stop, the camera zooms out and it shows some bells ringing quite uh, quite aggressively. So some cars show up and the bike shows up again, the guy with the eye, and Bond is completely surrounded by cars. So everyone gets out of their cars, gets assault rifles, and starts shooting at the DP5. And it's bulletproof, it's bulletproof windows, so it can take it and they're all shooting and the bells are still ringing in the background we still have that sound and bond is very calm while swan is kind of like freaking out at this happening but bond is just there completely so we see the guy with the fake eye comes out of his cracks out of his bike and he's the only one shooting now but he's shooting very like precise high caliber shots so he still has to shoot it quite a bit but it looks like it's doing a bit more damage so Swan shouts at James, like, you got to do something. Bullets are starting to break the window next to Madeline. So he's like, do something. And Bond just calmly is like, okay. And he flips a switch. Turrets appear at the front. And he does like a donut and spins the car in a circle and just starts shooting at everyone. So he's like shooting at every, all of those. He then triggers some smoke, does another donut. And then he then he drives off. And we get a bit more Bond theme. So... They're now on a bit of a on a, more of a main road, a bit less rural than what we were seeing, and they park up, and we cut to them at a train station, and Bond and Swan just walk across these the tracks to a different platform, and Bond stops, and they hold each other, and Swan's like, "What is this?" and uh, Bond just puts Swan on the train, 
And Swan kind of asks, how will I know if you're okay? And Bond says, I won't. You'll never see me again. And she starts crying. And she, for a moment, grabs her stomach a little bit. Uh, But the doors close and the train starts moving. And we see her going through the train with Bond is just standing in the same place he was when the doors closed. She starts running through the train to try and see Bond. The opening theme starts playing. We get like some strings of the opening theme. And Bond then turns as Swan is still running. So we cut back to Swan and we cut back to Bond. And now he's gone. And the main theme starts playing. Oh. Blimey. That's exciting. Yeah. <laughs> Good stuff, I guess. <laughs> no, it was it was all uh like that second after the whole um scene with Madeline as a child uh and then you move on to her and Bond I was kind of interested where it was going to go uh how much of like the happy life together we were going to see uh it turns out not much <laughs> but I I really I thought this whole like uh is it called Matera Matera Oh I have no idea I just <laughs> wherever it is because Italy, we don't like... get the text on screen for this film so it doesn't it probably is said but we don't get the nice little, like, this is where they are. Yes, yeah, I think it is there. And you're saying about kind of being a bit Italied out. That is true. They have spent a lot of time in Italy in these films, uh, especially Craig's. But as far as their location goes for sort of stuff, what a great location. Like all these tiny little narrow streets and this kind of mountainous built up town. And oh, man, it's so good. And like all the chases through them and, and the the bike stunts up onto the other level to avoid the procession. I thought it was great. I loved all this stuff. I could have had way more of this. Mm. I mean, we've talked a lot about how, like, chases, it can just go wrong. Like, surprisingly, Bond is really known for all the chases, but sometimes it's just kind of rubbish and naff. So it was nice to get one of these, which is very much like Bond up against it, very much like on the back foot, which is, you know, I talked about last, I don't want to go into this too much because this is Spectre stuff and we've got enough to talk about, but I talked about how the plane chase fell off to me and the characterization there. My general thoughts on that is that, again, I think Bond, part of his character, is somewhat of an underdog and he somewhat needs to be on the back foot to a certain extent to make it satisfying and, and interesting. Um, yeah. So a lot of Spectre was him being a super agent and him chasing them with the plane and being hyper-aggressive about it. He was he was just the strongest person in that chase, and that's not Bond. Bond gets captured, Bond gets beat up, Bond fights people twice his size. That's Bond to me. He ne- there needs to be a balance. Um, so I'm glad that straight away with this one, there's a bit more of an understanding of that. Like, yes, he has his. He's still very cool. <laughs> yes, he still gets stuff done, but he gets his. Uh, yeah, Vespa gets blown up literally in his face, and he has to kind of deal with that. And then he's just completely surrounded and. They shoot at him, but he still finds a way to do it. Like, straight away, watching this, you know, it made me think about how Spectre got that balance wrong with him just being a super agent who can just, who's just kicking ass and that's all he's doing. And this one shows a bit more of an understanding. And yeah, there's a bit more, not so much tension, I suppose, but it's just more exciting. It's just more visually exciting. It's got more stuff going on. And it gets that balance right that Spectre got wrong. And it does what I said before, like a good a good chase scene does, is that it just keeps things moving and keeps things like switching up enough. So you have the bit where he's on foot on the bridge or the viaduct. You have the bit where he's on the bike. You have the bit where he's with Madeline. You have the bit where they're just sat in the middle and it kind of goes quiet. It's always changing, and I just think that's that's what you need to keep my to keep you engaged and not just kind of zone out at all the 
sounds and explosions and stuff. So, yeah, I think very well done um, start to the film. And I think the only thing that is quite interesting about this being the pre-tart sequence is that it does end on a downer. <laughs> it goes no like, dinner, dinner, and then Bond flies away. Or Bond does. It ends with Madeline being pushed on a train looking you know so distraught as as bond leaves her and it is that's kind of a bit of a strange one but i guess it just kind of goes into the whole theme of this film and especially the tone of the title sequence anyway it's not like you're going to go from that into a a big bombastic bond song you're going into Billie eilish so it kind of suits it yeah like i feel like that's been the expectation uh, of these really like you have that i think i talked about in the poll about the contrast and yeah that creates that proper contrast uh, which i appreciate with this and you know, I want to be excited to watch a Bond film, and this kind of does tick those boxes, I suppose. Uh, but it, it felt like they had so much they needed to do after Spectre to, again, create a new story. But to me, I feel like, yeah, I guess to focus more on the Swan stuff, to me it totally makes sense that they would have some like element of tragedy in there without just kind of killing her off. That kind of just what happens, and... For Swan and where this character goes in this film, it kind of like it creates it just makes that relationship a little bit more interesting. Like you can't just do Tracy again. You can't just no. do Vesper again. If they actually did run off together, you'd be like, oh right. So it almost like it creates this other tragedy angle. But again, I think it plays very much into what one character is and shows respect to it, which is he doesn't trust anyone. So Spectre kind of doing this attack which then makes him suspicious of swan and him reacting negatively to that especially because vesper also betrayed him makes total sense i definitely when i first watched this was a bit confused because it was like oh we went through all of specter just to have them break up that's lame uh, but now that i know where this goes and this is my second time seeing it i'm like that totally makes sense and it helps swan be this more original unique love interest to bond which we haven't seen before and I appreciate that. They had to go in a different direction. And I think doing this up front makes sense. Yeah, and the fact that they do this where where Bond has his guard down it, when he's in front of Vesper's tomb. And if there is going to be any moment that would hit and, and cause such a dramatic response, you know, literally pushing her away onto a train, I'm never going to see you again. It It feels warranted because that would be when that would that would get to him and as you say bring back all that stuff about who can he trust like it's it's right there it's literally just happened um when he's at his maybe emotionally weakest so yeah i think um i, I remember thinking when i first saw this like it it was a bit of a not disappointing but just oh you know where where is the the typical intro but <laughs> as you say you quickly learn that nothing about this is is as typical as it has been in the past, which um, I, for a lot of it, I can get on board with this. I can get on board with other bits as we'll discuss later on. I can't. So, uh, But yeah, you just, you have to put that up front though. Uh, if this was just more of a standard bond adventure, I would be a lot more negative towards it. Cause I don't want to see that. <laughs> They've spent all these films making it not that. So let's, let's see where that can go. So that kind of made me interesting. But yeah, I will reiterate. I was a little bit confused by this point. But it's because it's like, well, what is this film going to be then? And having a, like characters break up at the start of the film can always be... It's a risky one because it's like it's it's just not very satisfying to watch a film just to see the characters then break up straight away. But now that I know why they did it, 
yeah, okay, that's that's good with me. Yeah. And also there was so much in the trailers and things about uh, Swan's secrets, so you sort of had to assume it was coming anyway. So. Mm. But yeah, uh, as as the train does depart and you're seeing a sort of POV of from, from Swan looking out as Bond disappears or, or walks off, you get... You get some dots. You get the dots appear through the the window, and they change every time a, a, the window changes. And it's the Doctor No dots, um, which is quite an interesting start to these title sequence. They kind of change color and and they morph a bit and go in different patterns. And then you eventually just you know you see the title of the film, No Time to Die, and we're into the main title sequence. And for this title sequence, it's very much the case that like this well-known to be Bond's, uh, Craig's last Bond film. So what do they do? Let's just get, let's just bring the whole gang back together. Yay, one more time. <laughs> let's just get a little bit of everything, bring it in here and smush it all together. And I don't mean that in a negative way. I think it's it's fine. I think if there was any reason to do that, yeah, do it for, do it for a Bond's last film when you know it is their last one. Don't really think we've ever really had that where you knew it was going to be the last one. So like like actually confirmed um so with this example why not uh so yeah you have at the beginning of it well i say let's say it does that at first it kind of goes into you have the doctor no dots and then you have almost a bit of the on her majesty's secret service we've already heard uh we have all the time in the world but you have the britannia statue which uh, i think appeared with the, the big you know shield that it has that was in the uh, on her majesty's secret service title sequence um, and it kind of gets all frosty and there's the ice from from Swan's flashback. And then it changes to some cogs. And within the cogs, there are some hands and the hands look like card suits. I think they're spades and they're bright red and there's like a black silhouette on one of them. So very much Casino Royale-esque with that one. Um, you have the DB5 sinking down under the sea in water. And that's sort of, I don't know, I was getting Skyfall from that. Uh, and it eventually lands on the seabed and obviously the sand there and the sand morphs and you, you realise it's now a, uh, a timer and it kind of turns very bright orange and then that's, well, that's kind of Quantum of Solace-esque with the, the sand dunes and there's more silhouettes as well. So yeah, they're definitely getting little bits and bobs from everything. There's a, quite a cool shot with guns going off and the bullets meeting in the middle when they're in a pattern that makes it look like DNA which comes to be a large part of this film. You even get faces coming back. I think it lines up with the lines <laughs> in the song. Uh, faces coming out of like lines forming, and you, you see Swan and Bond and Blofeld and Vespa, which that was Spectre, wasn't it, that had the faces in them? Yeah. Um, and then kind of to end off, you have things, you have a lot of veins and uh, blood. and Well, I say veins, it's almost like leaves, I think. It's like yeah, like vines. Over. Really yeah, like, I would guess poison ivy, some sort of ivy. Mm. Um, going through bodies, and you see this kind of creepy shot with the mask that we saw, and a vein, like a body made out of veins of that, and yeah, at the very end, there's like a statue of Bond as well that that shatters, and um, it's all kind of an amalgamation of everything. I don't really think it has its own. It doesn't really have its own style. It is really just a mixture of everything. As I say, I don't hate that. I think it it, it makes sense to do that now, um, but it does just mean it is a it is a bit all over the place. But when when have they not been? <laughs> really? 
well, for different reasons. It's like Spectre kind of already took some of these ideas and did it already, which kind of means they have to try and do it again. Um, I think the non-star on Majesty Secret Service is quite smart because even though the opening sequence for that one is pretty terrible, that mm. was the first time they showed like a load of footage from the older films. Uh, so again, it's another parallel to that, that this one does have those references because on a Majesty Secret Service, that one had those references. So it's like a reference to the reference that was a reference. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, I like it. I, I feel like I'm not super excited about this one, but I just like these well-polished visuals at this point. I just like how they approach them. I think it looks good. It's all, it's got creative imagery in there. So again, it's not one that really makes me excited, but it's like, it's just nice to see. It's just good to see it. And I like the Doctor No Dots. I think that makes sense. Again, you're going into it knowing this is the final of Craig things and they've already had some references. We're going to get some more references. So the fact that they haven't referenced the Dots at all until this point, until number 25, makes me think like, yeah, let's have the Dots in there. Let's start with the Dots and kind of almost show this evolution from it started with Dr. No and now here we are. I quite like that idea to kind of contemplate how this all began. That's quite nice. Um, and yeah, I think what makes that bit work is that they just haven't done the dots that often. This isn't like a DB5 situation where they like bring it out every second film. Like, ah, ah. It's like, no, <laughs> I, as far as I'm aware, they've never done the dots in the film. So yeah, bring in the dots for one for one last time. Well, I remember before this film came out, there was a lot of uh, uh, thought that perhaps Rami Malek's villain was going to be Dr. No as well. So when oh, I yeah, saw that, right. when I saw that, I was like, oh, okay, this is interesting. What's this going to be? Eventually, it doesn't really play out like that. But it was, um, yeah, it was, it was nice to see. I think in terms of the song, as I mentioned, it's Billie Eilish. She sang this one, No Time to Die, being the name of the song. And it caps off uh the era of craig where there is just a lot of similar sounding songs it doesn't sound a million miles away from sam smith and the writings on the wall and from there that doesn't sound a million miles away from adele and i think i like this one i do like billy eilish more than sam smith so that's already going to help uh and i remember not really liking this song very much when it first came out it, to me it still had that element of sounding restrained just like the writings on the wall did but it was one of those ones that grew on me it it did grow on me and i think by the end by the time the film actually came out because the nature of bond films is you always hear the song the song always comes out before and because of the delays it meant that this song was out for like a year before you even watched the, uh, watched well, the film. well more than that i think it came out like february 2020 yeah so it was almost two years it was yeah it was a long time so you had a lot of time to to take it all in and yeah, by the end of it i i think I don't, I'm not a massive fan of Billie Eilish, but I think she can sing. And I think the whole tone of this film suits her singing style. Uh, that kind of whispery element that she has going on. The only thing I will say is it, it doesn't really sound very much like a Bond song. I don't, that's not a bad thing in the sense of I kind of like how it sounds anyway. But it does, to me, it does seem like they had the song and then they were like, right, we've got to make it sound more Bondy. That's when they add in a few little horns and the twang at the end of it. Like It does seem a little bit of an afterthought to to push those elements on. Um, but, you know, I like it more than Writings on the Wall. 
I think it suits the film and it grew on me. So I, it's all good for me. Yeah. It, yeah. There was definitely that thing that it came out and I started listening to it a lot because it was, it's just part of that. The new Bond film's coming out. So you listen to that as part of that hype. But then once it got delayed, I was like, well, I'm never going to listen to this song until I actually watch the film. Cause that's just, that's too mean to myself to be listening to this theme for a film that just, I don't know when it's coming. I hope it comes soon. Torturing yourself, yeah. Yeah, so I completely cut it out. When I came to watching the film, I did really like it. And when I was listening to it, I did really like it. But I don't know. There's something about it in this film or in this opening sequence. It's just a bit... I wasn't that fussed about it anymore. Like, I can still listen to it and enjoy it. But I think that delay kind of killed it to a certain extent. And now when I listen to this or during this, I was just not fussed about it. I do think it is quite, you know, I guess concise. Like it, it knows what type of song it wants to be. And it's just kind of that. It is just a yeah. slow piano song. And that's that's it. That's all you get. And it's like a well put together piano song, but it doesn't really, like I don't need it to be a big song for Bond. I agree with you that it doesn't really sound like one. But again, I think that's fine for what this film is trying to do and what it's trying to set up and trying to have if you had a song like you know my name at the start no time to die that just wouldn't make sense um they, they are <laughs> trying to be funny yeah it'd be great. <laughs> you know my name uh, <laughs> but, but yeah so i do think this approach totally makes sense for what they're trying to do it does tie in when you hear those opening notes i'm a big sucker for that sort of stuff where you hear the notes before the credits start i love that moment i think it's really really cool with swan running through the train and you're hearing no time to die come in you know it's ending that's you know it's a sad moment but i was still like that's really cool i'm a big sucker for that sort of stuff but the song itself i just don't just not fussed about it anymore and i'm kind of at the point that when i watched specter last time i really enjoyed writings on the wall and i kind of have a bit of renaissance with that song but i've kind of gone the other way with this one so if you asked me a month ago which one's better writings on the wall no time to die would have been like well no time to die definitely but now i'm like I kind of like writings on the wall a bit more. I don't know. Maybe it's because I just like that opening sequence a bit more as well. But I listened to that a lot. No no time to die. Not that fussed about listening to it again. And as you hmm. say, they put that twanging at the end. And they. I think the ending of this version in the film is different to the ending in the song, which sounds really off. It just ends on a really flat, nothingy note. Like note and I'm just like, oh. So, oh, really? Yeah, like the the ending of the actual song, I feel like makes more sense. Where this one, it just cuts at a different point, which makes sense. They're going to edit the song, but it's a not a very good point. So I'm just like, yeah, I I didn't come away disliking it, but just kind of like, yeah, whatever. I, I would still say it's a good song, but I'm not. I, I'm just not fussed. I just don't really care to ever listen to it again. So it's fine, I suppose. Yeah, I it's definitely not. Uh, it would probably be what well, looking at the themes now. Actually, I guess it would still be third. <laughs> it has been some bad Craig songs for me, so I guess it is still top three for me. But um, that that is quite even just saying that is like well, actually, I don't like it that much. But I think it's 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 fine. Um, it's fine in the in the for what it is. I think just coming. If you know what I really think it is, it's just coming from Sam Smith. Yeah, uh, I it's, liked it. it's. We already said this. They had a template, and. You could argue this is the best song of that template, but at this point, I don't care. Like, just stop it. I really hope they do something different now for the next one. Oh, they have to. They have to, right? Like, surely they can see that and just... They, yeah, I have faith. 
I think. I don't know. <laughs> well, that's the thing. Like with this one, like the the Daniel Craig films got more somber and it was more about the past and all this character stuff. So, and there might be that stuff in there, but it's almost like Casino Royale was all about excitement. Bond's back, everybody. It's a brand new Bond. So it's that theme kind of reflected that. And then later mm. it was all about like, well, everyone that Bond knows just dies and that sucks. So <laughs> let's write some <laughs> themes to reflect that somber moment. So hopefully whatever the next one will be won't just be a sad, mopey thing. We can get back to like, get excited about Bond. Bond is back. So hopefully that's the sort of thing we get. Fingers crossed. Oh, everything crossed. So yeah, at the end of the tart sequence, you do get a a shot, a shot kind of almost like a kaleidoscope folds into view and it's of London. It's of London. You're seeing a skyscraper and you see the Thames in the background and, and the Shard. The Shard. The Shard is there. Yeah, the, I think even the walkie-talkie is there as well. Um, and it's, it looks like it's kind of uh, dusk, sun setting, and you see some some kind of combat looking men uh, walking down the side of the skyscraper because it's, you know, they're walking down vertically. And you see on the screen, it's been five years. Five years later has passed. So another, well, how long was it in, um, what was the previous time jump? Was it? You in... mean in which film? Yeah. It, uh, well, in... I don't think Spectre had one. Skyfall had like three months or maybe six months, something like that. Oh, yes. Yeah. Was it three months? Yeah. Yeah. I think, I think these months. like timeline wise, it's supposed to be like, because the five years I'm assuming is coming from the original release date. That 2015 is when Spectre takes place and when that came out. So the beginning of this film takes place in 2015. And then yeah. five years later, which is 2020, when this film was meant to come out, is when this film now takes place. So that I, I'm assuming that's why it's five years. That makes sense. You are the numbers guy, aren't you? You're oh, the years guy. The you know your stuff. Uh, but yeah, you see an inside sh- uh, a shot from inside the skyscraper at the end of the corridor and the, through the window, you see the, the people come down and they put on this little... Well, actually, it kind of does this cool spin around as well, like rotates because it was upside down to begin with. Again, that's more of those little flourishy bits that just, and it's just nice to see. Uh, but yeah, it rotates down and, and uh, they put this gadget on that cuts through the glass, big glass panel the window and that falls through so they can get in and then we see inside this building and inside is this huge lab it's this big sort of sciencey looking laboratory all these big uh, glass panes and machines and things like that in the background and you're focusing on these these few scientists in one of their offices one of their like glass offices and there's uh, there's two at a at their computer uh, desks one of them is Hugh Dennis, Hooray! which is kind of weird to see. <laughs> like, hey. If you're from the UK, you'll know that he's he's like uh, it's very much the uh, the guy you'll see on a uh, um what are they called? Like what are those type of shows called? Oh like panel shows. Panel shows, yeah. Like he's always doing like mock the week and stuff like that, but Well not uh, anymore. Not R-I-P. anymore. Um but yeah, it's kinda of strange to see him there. But he's there with a scientist next to him, and there's also this other uh scientist behind them. He's kind of got his desk a little bit further back. And they're basically pulling a bit of a prank on this third guy, talking about, oh, where did you, where did you put that smallpox sample? Uh, so you're kind of learning that there's some, some sort of maybe biological aspect to what they're doing here. And as this third guy goes and takes his lunch out, it's got smallpox on it, and he's like, ha-ha, very funny. This guy, by the way, has a terrible Russian accent, meant to be Russian. Um, 
And as he's putting, as he's getting his lunch, he's like, "Oh, my lunch is ruined." And he's very, uh, he's very arrogant. He's like, "Oh, there's more, more intelligence making this tomato soup than than you or something like that." Anyway, and eventually he threatens them with giving them Ebola, <laughs> so, <laughs> yep, and making them sweat blood. But yeah, he goes back to. Uh, I was his desk. sorry, but I was like, "Oh, you're so close. You could have said cry blood. It was right there." I, I had to go back and rewind it's like did he say cry blood no he didn't all right but i guess maybe that would have been too much but i was like ah, it was right there then he just pulls this leaflet and it's like so you're crying blood, blood. and it's got the chief's face like a little help guy another the chief's face yeah <laughs> uh so yeah he sits back down at his desk and he gets a phone call and you uh, you learn on the phone so, like the person on the phone says his name you learn his name is dr Ubr- ubrachev I think actually the other scientist might have said his first name, but I've already forgot it. Yeah, like they say his name here, but oh God, it was so hard to keep up with his name. Yeah, I, I'm just going to say Obachev because that's in my notes. Yeah, I mean, that's fine. But the guy on the phone uh, says that they're coming, Spectre's coming. And the scientist, Obachev, says Safin. So we've got other guy on the end of the phone is called Safin, um, who is saying, do not try to stop them. This is what we've been waiting for. And that these people entering are going to ask the scientists to bypass some security and and remove the weapon for them. So as he's doing this, or as he's hearing this on the phone, on his computer, he's transferring some files over and and putting it on a a thumb drive. And he says, what do I do? And and Safin on the phone says, swallow it and, and hangs up. And so he does that. And then he kind of, to get out of the phone call, he's like, I like animals. Bye bye. Oh, this perfect. Yeah, it, it, this character. Just to get this out of the way, he's very much. He reminded me a lot of Boris. Like he's that sort of character where he's not just because he's Russian, but also uh, he, he's there for a lot of comedic lines and just. Well, I say comedic; they end up just being cringy. But still, um, as he does that and swallows the thumb drive, the lights go off in this lab, and the place starts to shut down. Uh, and the doors at the end of the room explode, and all the all the people enter from outside. And one of them, you see, is <laughs> I've affectionately put in my notes, eyeball guy. Yeah, don't know how else to describe him. I don't went eyeball man, but then he eyeball just became man. eyeball just to eyeball. <laughs> just to save a bit of time, in it. <laughs> yeah, we all know eyeball. Yeah, yeah. So he he's part of this this group that have come in, and they come in, they start shooting and. And uh, taking the scientists hostage because you know, they run out with their arms up and you know, we're unarmed, we're just the scientists. And they get them all in a line against the wall. And the the eyeball eyeball guy says to uh, Ubachov that um, you know we get on, we need you to do the weapon, release the weapon. What do you need? And he says, I need another person to do it. Needs two people to clear it. So he uh, he picks Hugh Dennis out from. <laughs> I don't know what his name is. Uh, he thinks no, he Hugh Dennis. Hugh Dennis out from the line is like, yeah, I need him. So those two go off and it cuts to them taking out uh, these kind of canisters from some sort of freezer, like a cryo freezer, very sciencey looking thing. They're pulling these out and inside they have some vials in them. And in the vials, there's a kind of strangely morphing liquid in there. You don't really know what it is. It's just at the moment looks like some sciencey MacGuffin thing. Um, but yeah, he gives that to Eyeball Guy and he loads it into his little machine and, and takes care of that and then just shoots Hugh Dennis point blank. So 
<laughs> you know, it was nice, nice to see him in the film, but there you go, he's done now. I mean, yeah, I would have liked to see him more, but yeah, it was. I, ne- I didn't. When I went into that cinema and sat down to watch the new Bond film, I didn't think I would be seeing Hugh Dennis get killed no. in a science lab. <laughs> no, I'm like all. eyeball guy. Like, ah. <laughs> like, I was like, okay, that's okay, that's new. Yeah, I, I could respect that. Yeah, what you should have said cameo. though is Hugh Dennis being like, "Oh, we." Sh- I would fight back, but it looks like we're outnumbered. And then looks at oh. the camera. That's what he should have said. I, I know that reference, but I've never watched the show. Uh, yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. Is it good? Uh, okay. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, he's dead. Uh, but the scientist, Ubrachov, he's still alive. They they take him with them. They pretty much kidnap him. And they they head to a, a lift. Some lift door, like elevator lift doors and prize them open. They equip him with some sort of uh, safety or like some sort of jacket. And as they're doing this, there's some more men behind that are taking out a big bomb looking thing. And probably because it's a bomb. And they they drop it down the elevator shaft. And as it falls down, all these little dots are shot out from it that stick to the walls. And then it reaches the bottom and explodes and makes a way out for them. So there's all these green dots lining the walls and they turn on all of their vests and things they've got on, and they've also got green dots on them. And one of them goes to push Ubachov out down into the, the lift shaft, and he's like, no, I don't have a parachute or whatever. And as he's down, as he, as he gets pushed down, he starts to fall. Quite a dodgy-looking shot as he's falling. But just as he reaches the bottom, uh, you hear sort of like a hum and... He's suspended in midair because it's it's magnets. It's magnets, everyone. And thankfully, he lets us all know by going, magnets. So <laughs> makes it nice and clear. Uh, I don't know, I guess just a little bit of... Again, more like they didn't need to do this sort of stuff, but it's like, let's make a cool way for them to get out with some magnet stuff. Sure, why not? Um, I could have done without him saying magnets, though. Uh, and with that, they they pretty much, they're out. They trigger the bombs because, oh, yeah, I forgot to say they were planting bombs around the place as well. And you see kind of a wide shot uh, of the room, the lab exploding in the skyscraper. And that's that. Hmm. Yeah, quite an interesting start. Not just because yeah. of you, Dennis, but that helps. It's uh, That did help. The the five I got from this, and it's from some of the other parts of the film as well, It's uh, and this probably isn't fair to say, but gave me big old Call of Duty vibes. <laughs> Oh, interesting. A load of military men, like the way they're dressed, the way they deal with this, like as a squad and stuff, and the way they kind of like shoot people, but then have like this technology with the lift, which I thought was really cool. I think that's a really awesome idea. Um, It definitely felt a little bit more Mission Impossible than Bond, sure. But yeah, it was was kind of Call of Duty. Uh, And it's something that this film kind of injects into it throughout, which is it just shows a very different kind of style of military operation, I feel, from what we've seen in Bond before. The idea of this like SWAT team breaking into the building, stealing a scientist, I guess on paper doesn't sound very out of the way for Bond, but I feel like the way it's kind of shot and put together, yeah, it feels quite different. It doesn't quite feel Bond, but I didn't mind that. Like I think it's it's still kind of interesting enough on its own that I still enjoyed it, but yeah, this is a another scene that to me felt very different, the way these men are portrayed doesn't feel like how you would normally have these type of characters portrayed in a Bond film. 
And it's also more action without Bond. I know we've just had Bond, uh, the, the whole stuff of Matera, but still it's like after the sequence, we're kind of, it's, it's more of just this thing completely separate to Bond at the moment and uh, kind of gives it this very isolated vibe compared to the rest of the film. I, I liked it. And as you say, I, I liked the whole way that the yeah, SWAT team, that's the right way of putting it, kind of how they were getting through and, and taking out everyone. And it felt very, uh, very cool. And I liked I liked the, the lab having those kind of yellow big glass panes. It kind of it just looked nice. Um, the one thing that lets it down, if you couldn't tell from me describing it, is just I really do not like that actor that plays the scientist. <laughs> and I really don't like his accent. And I think he every scene is in, he just sticks out for the wrong reasons and just really pushes my buttons. Yeah, I'm not going to defend him. I think he's fine. Like, I don't I don't actually mind him all that much, but I'm also not going to really defend it. I, I think it's fine. It, it does the job of taking some of the tension out of these to make it feel a bit more balanced, like something that does fit in a Bond film. I I don't mind. And he does die, spoilers, so that's that's. But he's in the film quite a lot as well. Yeah, he, he makes it for a while, yeah. Bloody guy. <laughs> But apart from that, I think it was all quite good. Yeah, but it is almost like, you know, because there's almost... I'm not going to say there's two stories going on here. You could argue there's like three or four, but there's like obviously a lot that they had to inject into this film. But if we didn't have the Swan and Swan and Bond stuff, this would have been part of the opening sequence, probably. Like, this is your story setup for the villain. I know that... The Swan stuff also did that, but like if this was more stripped down, this would kind of be part of it. Uh, but because we've so we've kind of almost had three opening sequences already, and this is like our third one. You had the flashback, and then the Bond and Swan stuff in Italy, and now this one. And I don't mind it. Like again, it's for what this film is and for what it's going for. It's you do kind of strap in. You do kind of it comes with the territory, and it is setting it up properly. But yeah, you do go through three of these. And one of them has Hugh Dennis, so that's nice. Yeah, that is one thing, I suppose, is is that you the whole stuff on the phone, the phone call with Safin. I mean, at this point, you're not really meant to really know what's going on, but I was very much like, what? What's, what's this? <laughs> ah. I, I, yeah, okay, I'm just going to go with it. But by this point, having watched so many Bond films, that's just what you do, right? <laughs> that's just what you do. And you just hope that it will be explained nicely later. And it is. Uh, one of the things with this film is they, you just said it yourself, they do try and do a heck of a lot with plots and characters in this film, which is probably the reason why it's two and a half hours long. And I don't necessarily think it needed quite so much. Uh, but what I'm not going to say they they failed at it. I think what they did do with all the stuff, they, they pretty much pulled off. But I'm, I still think it it is a lot. But it's a lot that works, if that makes sense. Hmm. so yeah after that after the skyscraper blows up we uh cut to money penny by the way the skyscraper it it is just like half a floor blows up because you do get that external shot showing the explosion but it's not like a whole huge thing they just blow up one floor to get rid of the evidence you get a little bit of shot but yeah it's not a skyscraper coming down luckily there's no mi6 type destructions going on there with demolition no no yeah, we see Money Penny uh, walking through the offices of MI6. She's heading in to see M, and as she goes in, M is not at his desk. He's at sort of like the seats to the side, and I, don't, I never really understood why he was there. But anyway, 
because she comes in and she says, oh, you know, I've, I've, I've heard some news and he very quickly cuts her off and he's like, I already know. And then that's what prompts him to then uh, press a button on the remote and, and reveal some screens on the wall, um, which is showing the, the lab that's just been destroyed. But why was he over there? Why did he wait for M- M- Money Penny to walk in to then turn it on? I don't know. I don't. I, I can't excuse that, but yeah, I guess it's that sense that if he's just behind his desk, it's almost like that working man thing, right? If you've got your sleeves rolled up on your shirt and your tie's a bit loose, you're like, oh, that means you're in the middle of it and you're all stressed out. <laughs> so I guess it's kind of that, that is separated and he's like, oh, I'm already, oh, bloody hell, what's going on then? It's uh, it's, it's not supposed to be like calmly waiting for something to happen. It, I guess it's trying to build that impression of a... Uh, he is already trying to do stuff. But yeah, I don't know why he waited to turn on the screen. <laughs> he's stressed. He's a stressed man. So he turns on the screen. Uh, he's looking. He's like, oh, Jesus, looking at all the destruction. And Money Penny is behind him and, and asks, uh, kind of just very out of the blue, just asks, what is the Heracles project? That lab that they're looking at was not on the books, apparently. And M is very, very quick to kind of shut this down. This discussion is like, it's just a gas leak. It's a gas leak, and Money Penny says, "I'll go tell the PM." And and M's like, "No, I'll, it's a gas leak. Leave leave it to me." And just as Money Penny is about to leave, he turns and asks, "Where's 007? Hmm. So then we see Double O. Well, no, we see Bond. We cut to Bond. Uh, he's on a boat, and we are in Jamaica again. It doesn't say that we're in Jamaica. Perfect time for it to have on screen as we get that nice shot of him heading back to the island in his boat. But no. Uh, oh, but yeah, there. that would have been nice. I didn't put that together. Because yeah. <laughs> then again, I would assume that's... Maybe that I would have looked out for more Doctor No references if I knew this was Jamaica. Yeah, exactly, right? We've already seen the dots. Yeah. Uh, but no, he's there. He's he's on his boat and he's he's just gone fishing, it looks like, because he, he gets onto the dock and he's got these fish in his hand. And he's looking very, he's looking very casual, but... Like compared to the last time we saw Bond in this sort of setting in Skyfall, where he looked very bedraggled and awful, he looks good here. You know, he, he looks healthy. He looks fine. Uh, but he walks over and uh, goes to his house, um, his very nice house by the beach. It's like this... I think it might actually be kind of linked to the GoldenEye estate that Ian Fleming lived in, because I remember that was in some of the stuff before the film came out about how they... They were really close by to the GoldenEye estate. Uh, I don't know if this is actually it, but it's very similar vibes of like, you know, beautiful looking Jamaican beachfront, uh, open walls and everything like that. So he heads inside and he spots, well, before that, he spots a bit of cigar ash, I think, on like a table or somewhere, yeah, which catches his, catches his attention. And when he goes inside, uh, he spots... Another bit of the cigar, and he picks it up, and it's a, a bit of a Cuban cigar. So, kind of wondering what's going on there, but enough of that. He needs a shower, so <laughs> so he goes and has a shower again. Very beautiful looking outdoors shower. There's water coming from the trees above, and he's brushing his teeth as well. Uh, he finishes that, and we see him go back to his house. He goes and opens a drawer. He's got this little drawer with some buttons on the side, and that opens it up, kind of a locked drawer. And puts his gun away. And as the drawers open, you also see a bit of a newspaper clipping as well. And you do see that it says, uh, life imprisonment for global terrorist and uh, Blofeld's mugshot on the front of it. So 
yeah, if you if you hadn't have guessed, the Blofeld was locked away after the events of Spectre, uh, <laughs> and Bond has obviously been keeping track through the newspaper. So with that, he gets into his, I assume it's a Land Rover. I don't know, is it a Jeep? Some sort of Jeep, maybe it was. I think, uh, yeah, because there's what's the difference between a Range Rover and a Land Rover? I don't know, but um, <laughs> there's definitely one of those in the film later. So yeah, yeah. but I think it's quite an old one, isn't it, right? It's not like a modern car, yeah. it's quite an old one. Yeah, so he starts to drive in, I was going to say Jeep, he starts driving his Jeep through into the town. Uh, I don't know whereabouts this is in Jamaica, but, you know, into the town area. Um, and as he's doing that, you can see that he's being followed by a car. And it's kind of clear that he knows that too, because after the cigar stuff and, and as he's driving. So he does this sort of sweep around, um, around a road and kind of backs onto where he just was and, and then drives straight into the car. Well, not straight into, but like stops just where the car was that was following him. And you see that it was Felix. Felix is there in the car, uh, along with this other man next to him, who, who Bond asks, who's the blonde, and uh, starts to introduce himself, and then it cuts, and is like, I never really get those scenes where he starts to say something, and then it cuts, and he's finishing the sentence. Yeah, it's this like, was a bit of an awkward edit. Because <laughs> it's like, Logan, and then he cuts, he's like, Logan Ash, State Department. Um, I don't know why, fan. yeah, I don't know why the who's the blonde line doesn't come when they're walking, like, <laughs> don't know. it's just a bit of an awkward edit. But yeah, it does cut and they're now walking together. And yeah, it's Logan Ash he's introducing himself as. And uh, he works for the State Department. Big fan of Bond, he says. And Felix is there and he asks Bond for a favour. And Bond replies, did you not hear that I've retired? So once again, we're getting another Bond out of it. But this time, for good, it looks like he's now retired from the 00 service and uh but felix is like that's precisely why i'm asking you for a favor that you're not working for her majesty's government anymore and ask is there a quiet place to talk and by this point bond looks over and he's like yeah i think i know a place and they're in a nightclub so uh they are all sat down um in this very loud uh very bustling nightclub lots of people dancing lots of kind of afro-caribbean music being played and uh they're playing, they're sat at a table and Bond, they're all there, Bond, Logan and, and Felix. Bond and Felix are playing this game. I don't know what it is. It's like where they have to bet what's in their hand or something. Do you know what that is? Uh, it, it, I couldn't tell you what it's called. I feel like it rang a bell though. I do recognise it. They like, they go like one, two, three and they're, they're guessing how many coins the other has in the their hand. I, I yeah. don't know exactly. I, I recognised it, but I couldn't tell you the name of it. But yeah, it's a very like quick, game where they're just like guessing these coins mm. so they're doing that as they're having this conversation where felix is talking about how he needs bond to go pick up a package in cuba how much he loves cuba and the package is that scientist oh i wrote down i did write down valdo apparently is his name oh valdo <laughs> we forgot that but well, yeah Ob obrachev uh has apparently been spotted in cuba um, and he kind of, Logan passes over a picture of him and says, like, you, you're you going to say that you don't know who this is, which Bond says he does, like, he doesn't know who that is. And apparently this scientist defected from Russia, I guess, during uh, Bond's time at MI6, and he's now been kidnapped, and facial recognition has pinged him as being somewhere in Santiago de Cuba. And uh, Felix needs Bond to go over there and get him. And then Logan Ash says, like, then, he, then Spectre is mentioned as well. 
because apparently a contact there in Cuba is saying that there's a gathering uh, starting up with all of the, the Spectre agents. And, you know, is it a coincidence that this scientist has now been spotted there? And upon hearing that, Bond is Bond says it's my round and goes to walk off, kind of leaves leaves them there sitting at the table, goes up to the bar, and as he does so, he he brushes past this this woman. We did see this woman before as well, very, very briefly as they enter the, the club, but this woman dressed in white, they kind of lock eyes for a bit, and uh I think she might say hi, and he carries on going to the bar. And at the bar, Felix comes up to him, leaves <laughs> leaves Ash at the table, and and Bond's like Who's the Book of Mormon? And it keeps on cutting over to <laughs> this shot of Ash just on his own, just like looking down at the two of them, smiling and waving. And, and we learn that he's a, a political appointee, apparently. Uh, but that Bond says he smiles too much. And yeah, you do see him smiling. He's like, cooey, down at the other end of the room. Uh, but Felix is there talking about how he needs Bond. He's the only one he can trust. Hard to tell the good from the bad. All that sort of talk that we've heard before. But um he wants to, you know, he wants to go back and see his family and tell him how he saved the world again. Quite how, I mean, it'd be Bond doing that, but anyway. Um, <laughs> but Bond's having none of it, really. Uh, he he like pays the tab and and walks off and just says says no, really, or you know, bye. And um, Felix says, uh, "Let me give you my number at least." And he's like, "I got your number." As he walks off, and as he walks off, you just see one of the one of the crowds. As he walks past, eyeball guy is there. Eyeball guy is everywhere. Um, so yeah, they're uh, they're watching all this unfold. But yeah, it's um, just before we get on to the next bit, it's nice to see Felix again. It's been a mm. couple of films since we've seen Felix, uh, played by Jeffrey Wright, of course. And I don't know, just the the the, the connections to Doctor No, they just keep coming. Um, here in Jamaica, and it's um, we said it before, right? But like, just Jeffrey Wright, and he's just so cool, <laughs> and the way he says his lines, and just the the chemistry that him and Bond have, it's it's kind of sad that we never really got them working together fully. It's a shame because I think there's parts of this film that could have been more of that, uh, of them actually working together, but as in like seeing them in their element and how they formed this bond together. But uh, I'm glad that he's here, and where this eventually, where this character eventually goes, you know, it, it it would be a real big shame if they didn't wrap off, like wrap up this bit of it as well. Yeah, like always, uh, yeah, every scene with Bond and Felix has been great of the Craig era, and this is kind of no exception. Just hearing these two people talk, and yeah, as you say, the two actors just bounce off each other really well. They're just really enjoyable. I yeah and I mean the whole line of like I want to be the hero one last time or something I want to kind of not one last time sorry but like I want to get back to my family and say I was mm. a hero again don't you it's like oh that's another ooh <laughs> don't be saying <laughs> that Felix come on come on Al that wasn't that's smart a, was it a cursed line there yeah. yeah but I mean I having them play the coins as well it's all just very nice and yeah I agree if we talked about how there almost feels like there's films missing in the Craig era. And you would assume that if, you know, there was a film, it would have been Bond goes to America and teams up with Felix and does more like that because there is this built-in trust. And they've done enough in the films they've had to to sell the trust between the two and their chemistries. Like, that all works fine. But, mm. yeah, you kind of somewhat assume they've done more than what you've just shown. But 
I have to say, I really like Falco Ash in this scene. <laughs> it's so, it's so awkward. Mm. It's so oh good. yeah, yeah. He just yeah. like Bond and Felix are trying to chat, and he just keeps jumping in. He's like Spectre, and he just smiles and stuff. It's so, it's so awkward. And uh, yeah, obviously he's supposed to be more that comedic presence, but I don't know. It's kind of, I think it is a bit of fun showing how Bond and Felix are kind of. I think it's a way of showing them being the older people without actually saying you're old. It's like, you know, how in the other ones, Bond's supposed to be a bit part, you know, those those ideas of him being a more veteran agent and stuff. But it's yeah. mostly people being like, you're old. It's like, oh. <laughs> but, but this is kind of like showing it without having to say it so much. But you still, it kind of does highlight how, you know, good Bond and Felix are together without really ruining that stuff. Because they st- still get to go to the bar. But yeah, just having somebody else who's just so excitable. I like him. I like the Falco. On paper, I probably would say that's a terrible idea. But I just kind of like this excitable young dude who's all like, I'm, I'm a big fan of your Bond. Like he knows who Bond is and he's kind of just a fan. And it's just awkwardly sitting around. It's, uh, I don't know, it's quite fun. I, I agree. I like the character too, although there is absolutely no surprise about where he goes. I mean, the, just even from the first bit about him saying, oh, he's a political appointee. Well, we know where that, ha- we know what's happened with that in the last film. So <laughs> it's like they're setting up the character to be this this little kind of dweebish uh, fish out of water character at the moment. But you know where it's going to go, or at least I think it was, for me, it was quite obvious anyway. Yeah, well, yeah, you wouldn't have him here if there exactly. wasn't a point to him being here. Uh, so but you know that's all fair enough and yeah we again some of the dialogue it's all pretty standard but still decent enough i like the trust between the two uh yeah so yeah all pretty good i do want to go back a little bit because we started off this whole jamaica segment showing bond Mm. in his house which again is very nice Um, and it kind of got me thinking it was kind of like well we started off another bond film this way skyfall but that one was all about how like depressed he was where it's like he lost his sense of who he was and was kind of doing all this fun stuff what was miserable even though it's a very similar setup so it kind of got me thinking like well why is that the case and i I guess i feel like it it ties very importantly to the fact that they show a picture of blofeld in a newspaper thing and they show this hint of him still investigating it and to me that's kind of the thing that kind of ties this together he's kind of like in Skyfall, he had no purpose because he didn't know about this stuff and he just wasn't involved. I feel like with No Time to Die when he leaves, it's like he's had this five years and he's still motivated to stop in Spectre. So it's almost like as long as Spectre exists, Bond has a reason to keep going. He just has to kind of stay under the radar and separate from MI6 to do that. They don't really fully go into that idea or that concept, but to me, I feel like that having that newspaper was actually more important than maybe they intended, or maybe they did, because uh, it is showing Blofeld has been arrested. But it is also like, yeah, Bond, that's kind of what he's been doing. He hasn't Keeping just, tabs. Yeah, yeah, he hasn't lost his purpose. He still wants to track down Spectre, and he's still very much connected to that, so that's kind of become his purpose. Again, they don't really massively highlight it, but I don't think they really need to. But I feel like that's the difference between the beginning of Skyfall and the beginning of this, is that Spectre connection. Yeah, and and also the character's just in a completely set, like a different place mentally as well, um, where, well, I don't want to go into it, but like, yeah, we've already talked about how Skyfall and and 
emptiness there you were just saying. So I think here it's it's more it's more that he's more content, I suppose, with where where he is after five years, I, I guess. And I don't know. There's a lot to go into there. I, don't, I can't really unpack it all. Yeah, I, I felt like they do enough to to set that up because again, on the face of it, it's very very similar. But to me, it ties in the Spectre stuff. But there is also that thing with Swan that comes back later. So I won't say that too much. But of course, Swan didn't die. But it's almost like with Skyfall, Vesper had already died. He kind of had no one, and then there's kind of nothing going on. So he got. He lost his sense of purpose, but with Spectre and also the fact that Swan is still out there and clearly is tied to Spectre and stuff, there's like enough there that he would kind of care about and invested in that he would just kind of, I yeah, I don't see it as him just fully being retired and enjoying that. It's more just yeah, he's kind of it, it did I guess for what he wanted to do, he felt like he couldn't go back to MI6 to just carry on with his missions. Too much has happened and he needs to suspect her, so he's doing that in his own way. Again, that's how I interpret it. You you might not interpret it that way because it doesn't go into it that much, but to me that that clicks enough. And it also helps that they portray this as being a really like amazing looking place. Like it yeah. really is great his uh where he lives and the way he's living. Like it is just straight up there's no Heineken here, which is a huge improvement. Uh, <laughs> like they do portray it in a more positive light. And Tanner's just there on the side of his Heineken going, oh. Oh, man. <laughs> Come on. Yeah. So, yeah, Bond has left the bar and left Felix, and he gets into his Jeep, but it won't start. So he gets out to try and fix it, and the woman from before, the one that bumped into him at the club and said hi, is there with, like, a moped, and he's all like, engine trouble, and do you need a ride? And Bond's just like, yeah, all right. So he jumps onto the back of the moped, and they drive off, and... Bond says, what's your name? And she says, Noby. And she says, what's yours? And he says, James. Call me James. So he doesn't do the line. Yeah. But uh, yeah, James, call me James. All right. I wasn't going to call you John. Yeah. But James, (laughs) sure. Uh, So Bond's like, what do you do? And she says, she's a a diver. Sorry. And there's a little bit more banter here. But yeah, it's, it's more the typical stuff. So they arrive at Bond's place. And they step onto it and they turn on the light and he straight away goes to get them a drink and she's all like, oh, this is a this is a nice house. Is that a bedroom? And walks into it and Bond joins her and she then looks at the bed and turns around and then she takes off the wig that she was apparently wearing to reveal a lot shorter hair and Bond says, that's not the first thing I thought you'd take off. And before she had kind of a Jamaican accent i suppose um, but her accent then suddenly changes to like a very british one and calls him mr bond so i think that's why he says call me james because if he said i'm james james bond it this little reveal here of knowing who he is wouldn't hit as much mm, yeah like so i guess it is a double whammy thing where it's like okay well he's not in the force any or he's not in the service anymore so he doesn't do the jane bond call me bond line but i think it's also so she can then say mr bond uh so she can kind of reveal i know who you are and yeah she then starts saying i'm here as a professional courtesy and bond's like well you broke my car and also it's commander bond but you should know that and then he's like are you a, a double o and i think she says yeah for two years 
And then she starts saying, the world has moved on since you've retired. But Bond says, in his experience, the world doesn't change all that much. And she was like, well, you would say that. You're in like this little heaven, this little bubble you've created for yourself. And she's saying how you only have time to kill and nothing to live for. But then she starts saying how uh, Orbachev is off limits. And if you get in my way, I'll put a bullet in your knee. So Bond asks, says, well, I think you need to ask yourself some more questions. Why would the MI6 and CIA be chasing the same person but not, not talking to each other? And that's not good. So Bond then says, tell him hello, but I don't work for him anymore. So she like throws her phone at him and says, tell him yourself. And she stops to leave and or goes to leave and then stops and says, I, by the way, I'm 007. And she's all like, you probably thought they would retire it. And he says, uh, it's just a number. She's just like, yeah, see you in Cuba. So yeah, so this is our introduction to, to Nobi, who is um, yeah the new 007 because Bond left, a new person has been assigned it, and I like a lot of these ideas. I like how Nobi initially just, like, didn't properly introduce herself and was, yeah, just kind of got to Bond's place by putting on an accent and stuff and then revealed herself and some of the back and forth. But, yeah, I don't like some of this dialogue, that's for sure. This whole, like, 007 thing... And the cockiness that comes from her from that feel like it's a bit too much. I don't think that was very smart. It's like if you're going to introduce a character who's going to be taking the 007 number. First of all, I like that idea. That's good. But don't make them be really cocky and smarmy about it. That's that's not a good way to go. That's not a good way to introduce a character and make them somewhat likeable. Uh, I will say by the end of the film, I quite like this character. I think Nobi's actually pretty good, a pretty solid part of the film. But yeah, initially in these first few scenes, I'm just a little bit put off because she's all like, yeah, I'm 007. Hmm. You probably thought they retire it. Hmm. And I was just like, oh, shut up. Just go, go away. I think that was the point though, right? Like she's meant to be quite unlikable here. And for a significant portion of the film, she's meant to be quite uh, uh, almost childish with the way that she's taken taking Bond being back and, and like back in the scene and stepping on her toes, stealing her thunder sort of stuff. So I, I don't mind that. I think uh, like, yeah, the whole feeling in the 007, I quite like that there is, you know, the, the MI6 goes on without Bond and it is just a code name. There is no, no, none of these weird theories and all that malarkey about Bond and code name stuff. 007 is a code name and he left. So there's a new one. Just like they do with Double O Nine and the Clown and all that sort of stuff, uh, <laughs> they replace the clown. They get a new clown when Double O Nine dies. Yes, always, always. Uh, the the bits of the dialogue I didn't really like about this scene because I, I like most of it, but for me it wasn't the Double O Seven stuff. It was just the, and it was very quick. To be fair, so I can't complain too much. But just the whole the whole thing about the world's moved on and oh you more of that stuff about bond's past it and it's like we know please please <laughs> stop bashing us over the head with the idea that bond is now out of the game and the world's moved on and he's an old wreck was like one of the jokes they made earlier like yes we know we know so i'm glad it was only like one or two lines on that and they moved on uh, and didn't didn't leave it as much of uh leave it in as much as skyfall or whatever because they've done it in skyfall now so it's fine yeah, like, this uh, is not the thematic part of the film. Like, it's putting it out there, 
which I I think that's fine. I think you can have this stuff in here. Like, yeah, but yeah, luckily you don't get a ton of it. But I think no. you kind of somewhat needed that in there just to set this up as the final film in the Craig era, that he needs to be a little bit more of a vet. But luckily, yeah, they don't go too crazy with it. I kind of like it from the standpoint of, because I really like the line of Bond where she's like, the world's moved on since you retired. I really like Bond being like, in my experience, the world doesn't change that much. I think that's really cool. Like this kind mm-hmm. of idea that, yeah, maybe technology wise or whatever, but in Bond's world, it's good guys and bad guys and you shoot the bad guys and there's explosions. and like I, I kind of like take it as that. Where it's like, sure, maybe all this superficial stuff has changed, but ultimately in terms of what this world is, it's still kind of the same. It's still stopping the bad guy. So I kind of like that idea. And I think it sets that idea up of, yes, Bond, when Bond does come back, spoiler, that he is still able to fit in. They don't show him as being this massive fish out of water and disconnected with it all. And I think it ties into that line, which is like, ultimately... Bond being a skilled assassin is still incredibly useful like uh, and being involved and his ability to read people like he is still valuable and they don't treat it as his not valuable at this point or at least she starts saying that but we get a like a response to that that kind of counters it so this stuff kind of sits in quite quite nicely so I, I quite like that line and I think overall this concept as a setup is really cool I like it a lot I like Felix coming to Bond and saying, we have a job for you, but I can only do it because you're out of the service. Like, yes, like Bond has left. Let's take advantage of that from a story's perspective. That's really cool that we get to see Bond working as an agent, but not an MI6 agent. And then having Felix involved, but also having Nomi, the new 007 involved, all after the same person. That's awesome. Like, that's really, really cool. Um, So I think the story setup is, is really good. And I'm very it's quite exciting to see this and how this is all going to come together it's just yeah some of this dialogue is a little bit off but as you say it's a very quick scene so it's not really that big of a deal there is one more thing i want to moan about as well oh god yeah uh, <laughs> we got time good we got plenty of time and this i'm going to mention about this more later on uh but it, the 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 seeds were starting to be uh sowed here the way the craig delivers some of the lines strange and there's one line in here that just did not sound like him at all as Bond. And I was, it just kind of sh- surprised me. It was when he's like, MI6 and CIA not communicating with each other. That's not good. <laughs> it's, like, it's such a small thing here. But one, once I locked onto it, I started to see it more and more throughout the whole film. Is There are a lot of parts of this film to me where Craig does not sound like Craig. And this was just the beginning. I guess so. I... I... Now that you mention it, I think I know what you mean. There definitely is a lot more of a casual nature to some of his delivery. Um, I've got a theory, which I'm going to talk about later. Oh, okay. Well, that's not. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Fair enough. So we then cut to M and Tanner entering Q-Lab. Although I'm assuming it's the same place as before, but it's very small this time. Like it's more like one room that's just like filled with trays of gadgets. Well, not gadgets, but, you know, techno stuff, servers, wires, hard drives and... M asks, uh, any updates, Q? And Q saying that several files have been wiped on the hard drive, but is trying to retrieve them. And Q... So he's trying to use the hard drive. So they've, like, recovered a hard drive, which was uh, Umachev's, and they're 
Q is trying to like retrieve any files. It's like locked or something like that. Uh, but Q says, if I knew more about the files I was looking for, but M cuts him off and says, that's all, that's good. And M says he has a call from 007. So he looks at his phone and he walks away and he answers and it's Bond. And Bond says, hello, and says, uh, I met your new 007. She's a very disarming young woman. And Bond says, the scientist was on your payroll. Obershoff was on your payroll, wasn't he? But M says, stay out of it. Has nothing to do with you. But Bond says, it does, because it's Spectre. And says, Mallory, what have you done? And M just hangs up. So M, I think, talks to Tanner and says, CIA have an advantage. Get me Blofeld. And we see footage, or Q brings up, like, footage of Blofeld. So when he says, get me Blofeld, they're all like, well, only one person can see him. You can't go see him. But he's like, just show me the security footage of Blofeld in his cell. So they see him in his small cell, and he's just, like, mumbling to himself, doing hand gestures, rocking backwards and forwards. And I think Tanner says, like, oh, he's like that every day. He's gone mad. And But we see him still doing a lot of, just saying a lot of things. I think if you take the time to listen, you can hear what he's saying, but it's nothing super significant. He's just mumbling a lot of stuff while moving. Mad as a bag of bees, Tanner says, which is, is a phrase I've never said? heard of. Yeah. <laughs> that would be pretty first, mad. At first I heard it as mad as a bag of peas. And I was like, <laughs> peas? In a bag? Mad? Crazy. <laughs> but then I, then I looked it up and it's mad as a bag of bees. which And I guess bees will be quite mad if you put them in a bag. <laughs> yeah. Hmm. Also, one thing about the scene, which I thought was quite strange, is uh, as Bond is on the phone to M, M goes into that kind of wind tunnel section where the car is. And I really thought that was setting up to be like the car used later on, because this is really fancy looking. I think it's another Aston kind of like almost looks like a supercar sort of thing, like a Formula One or something weird, the shape of it. But uh, no, that never comes back. I guess it's just scene setting for all the stuff in Q's bunker, but... It is, so, it is strange that they would put a car so clearly in frame and then it just never comes back. I thought that was the car Nobi uses. Oh, what? Uh, in Norway? Yeah. Is it? I want to say so, yeah. I don't know if it is. Hmm. Hmm. Research needed. <laughs> I thought I thought that's what that was. Like Again, there's, there's a big chunk of time until we get to that point. But I'm assuming because she goes off, she's in Norway. I'm assuming that was that car. I thought that was a very sleek looking Aston. Maybe it was them. I don't know. I guess I would have also expected gadgets and stuff, but maybe, maybe not. I don't think they had time. No. There was no time. No time. Uh, yeah, so then we cut to Bond looking out of the water. I think he's still at home at this point and he kind of is thinking about something and he then sighs to himself a bit and calls Felix and says, I'm in. And Felix laughs and saying, ha, yeah, great. And there's a young lady that I want you to meet. So we cut to Bond on a boat approaching an island, Cuba, if you will. And we see a plane go over the top of him and Bond then gets to the dock and has his passport checked. And yeah, the guy says Cuba as well. And we see Nobi down the dock on a plane and she gets off and just waves at Bond which I like that moment. Again, I still like this character. I just don't like some mm. of this, but that's quite funny, her walking off just waving at Bond. Because um, I like it at the end of the last scene where she's like, I'll see you in Cuba, being like, well, I know you're going to go there. I'm just here to say don't. But I know that's going to happen. I think that's a fun idea. Yeah. 
Um, so we cut to the middle of like a city, maybe it's a town, but yeah, like an, yeah, at night, very alive city and Bond is walking through. We see music being played and we see a woman in a very fancy, posh looking dress having a Coke quite nervously at the bar. And Bond says her name. I don't remember how to pronounce this. Like Paloma? Pal, is that too many? Pal? What? I don't know why. I, think, I just went with Paloma. Paloma, that's the one. That's yeah. what it's going to be. They don't say it enough. I don't like it. I don't like having names <laughs> I don't recognize because I get so tripped up. <laughs> ah, Paloma. Yes, yeah, so she turns around and says, you're late. And is quite energetic and excitable and she just starts running off and pulls Bond along and Bond says, oh yeah, something about Paris and a hat. And she's all like, oh yes, that's fine. I forget these things when I get nervous. This is the biggest job I've ever had. And just kind of laughs a bit. And yeah, so Bond is trying to give her the code. Is that the same code as Dr. No by any chance? I don't remember. Oh, I don't remember either. But that would make sense to me that the original code, I kind of want to look it up. <laughs> but I didn't realize this was Jamaica. Uh, I would have looked up more of this stuff, but I, it makes sense to me as a fun reference that he would be talking about Paris and a hat. And that would be the same code that Bond would have used in that film. Although actually, no, he didn't use a code, did he? That's why in Russia, from Russia with Love, he did use a code because he then got taken by that guy. Oh, right. Yeah. And then, the, the, yeah, let him have a cigarette. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, I think. Oh, yeah. Because, yeah, we did talk about that in From Russia with Love, how he learned his lesson. Yeah. But it makes sense that this would be referring a previous code. Like, that seems like an easy one. But maybe, yeah. maybe, maybe not. Uh, so, yeah, so she pulls Bond away by the arm. They go downstairs into a wine cellar. And we see her, like, unlock a gate to get in. And Bond's like, is this your room? She's like, it's a wine cellar. It's okay. <laughs> uh, so then she starts, like, undoing his shirt, like, just unbuttoning it. And Bond's like, shouldn't we get to know each other first before we? And she's just like, no, no, no. Like, and no, no, no. Nothing like that. And just very awkwardly, like, shows a suit. She's just, like, holding a suit for Bond. So she just holds it up and then she's like, well, you do it. And she just stares at him and Bond's just like, do you mind? So she turns around and Bond starts getting dressed and Bond kind of sarcastically says to himself is, this is going to go brilliantly. And she just, again, very excitedly turns around and says, I know, I've done three weeks of training. And it's just, like, beaming, <laughs> really happy. <laughs> oh, yeah. Uh, yeah, so then we cut to them walking outside and Bond is now in a full tux, the full classic tux that we've grown to love. And yeah, it now makes a bit more sense why she's in that dress as well. So they're kind of walking down the street and they get to like a, a building and go inside and it's looking a little bit more fancy than what we've just seen. And Bond says, let's go get a drink. So they go over to the bar. Bond orders two vodka martinis, shaken, not stirred. And she gets a lipstick out and there's like two earpieces in it. So she pops those out and she puts one in Bond's ear and puts one in here. And she's like, so I can hear you. And then the two drinks arrive and Bond's like, what should we drink to then? And she's like, Felix. So they toast and Bond has a sip and she just necks it. She just downs the entire drink. Um, so, yeah, so this is our introduction to oh, I've already forgotten her name. Can I just call her Pam? Is that easy enough? Pam? Paloma? Is it Paloma? Is Paloma, it? yeah. Yeah. Like, so this is an introduction to her. And talking about this film now, 
it makes me realize just how many comedic characters they kind of are. Yeah, it didn't oh, even cl- it didn't even click until I just this second. Because to be honest, I think they integrated like decently enough. But yeah, like every single kind of set piece almost has to have a comedic character saying jokes. But I quite like Falco. I'm mid on uh, the scientist guy, but I I quite like her. It's quite fun. Wait, Again, who's, who's Falco? Falco Ash. Oh, his name's Logan. I thought it was Falco. No, I think it's Logan Ash. Why did I write Falco then? I don't know. Is Falco Ash a real person? <laughs> Maybe. Why did I write Falco? Weird. Fal- yeah, I don't know. That should have clicked because they say his name quite a bit. Genuinely wrote his name down as Falco every single time. <laughs> so that's going to I mean, come that's, back. That's a cool name too. <laughs> Why do I think Falco? Anyway, <laughs> Logan. I probably said Falco before, though, in his initial scene. So I, can, uh, I must have missed that. <laughs> See, I'm yeah, just as bad. Uh, 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 strange. All right, <laughs> Logan. Then, uh, but yeah, I didn't realize how many they injected into this. But yeah, she, she's quite fun. I don't know. Like, yeah, she's not in the film a ton, but it's just kind of. Again, I guess it's kind of pointing out the whole Bond's a bit more of a vet at this point, and here's someone a bit more young and excitable it's like doing that stuff without explicitly having to say you're old bond i'm young so it's kind of more into that sort of theme but again they do it in a way that's a bit more fun and it's not just bond being old it's just teaming up with someone who's a bit younger and bond isn't like oh look at you you've got spots like he did with q you look at your complexion it's none of that stuff it's just kind of a yeah again a bit of a fun bit of humor yeah, and in the process, making Bond look more professional. I mean, we we haven't seen what sh- she does yet. So by this point, you could think, oh, she's going to be hapless. She's going to be like Mary Goodnight. You know, she's going to mess up or something like that, uh, which is not how it turns out. But at this point, you, it looks like Bond is you know carrying her and uh, she's going to get into trouble or something because she's so kind of naive and fresh face and like puppy dog eyes sort of thing. So, uh, yeah, it kind of works both ways in that. Yes, he is older around all these young people, but then that also shows that he, you know, the experience that he has and everything. Yeah, like I, I'm glad with how it goes with this character. You know, this stuff is always very tricky because I don't want someone who's just obviously so terrible. And and I, on paper, I don't love these like gotcha moments. But I think she brings enough energy to it, and it's like good enough. Like she's not useless, right? I guess that's the important thing. Like yeah. Sure, she messes up the code, but so does Bond, right? They both mess up the code. Like, Bond doesn't know the code. So, like, she is still, like, like here, and she is still, like, doing the job. She's just excited about it. Like, it's not her putting her butt against buttons <laughs> and messing everything up. And it, it's not that. It's just she's no. here and she's excitable, and that's totally fine, and that's fun. But if she was actually legitimately, like, crap, then I'll be like, oh. But because she's just more excitable and actually does seem quite capable, just a bit nervous, that's, you know, that's endearing. That's nice. Oh, yeah. Like, annoyingly charming uh, as a character. <laughs> like, uh, Anna Diarmas, who plays her, it's so, so good. I think she's like, yeah, such a likeable presence on the screen, even from this 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 starting bit where you're, you're sort of seeing a bit of like the nervous nervous element and all that sort of thing. So, yeah, it's all good. Uh, so after that, they had a drink at the bar. She's necked a drink. She says, Vamos, time to go. Uh, we cut to 
Obrachev. And he's in a room with Eyeball Guy. And yeah. <laughs> Do you know the character's actual name? I'm not going to no. say it, but I am curious. You no, don't. I don't okay, know. Fine. All right. Uh, yeah, they're in a room together um, at a desk, and Obrachev is he's got his kind of briefcase out with a some tech in it and he's also got this little machine where he's taking a dna sample from a toothbrush and i don't think it's i don't think they actually say yet i think they just say is it is this going to work or maybe they just say he but this is actually bond's toothbrush yeah uh, like we I, we kind of missed it a bit but yeah there was a scene of him using this toothbrush yeah so it's not completely out of nowhere and it's like a bamboo one so it looks quite distinct as well so to me, straight away, I was like, well, this second viewing anyway, I was like, oh, that's Bond's toothbrush. Yeah. Um, but yeah, like it, it, we have technically seen it before. So he's getting DNA sample from that and he puts it into a little machine and you see a little you know, interface saying that it's all done and DNA scraped from it. And that was had a, a thumb drive plugged into it. So he takes that out and as he's about to take it out and put it into his big briefcase computer um he he drops it or he kind of pretends to drop it anyway he's like oops silly me and drops the thumb drive onto the floor uh, slippery gloves he says so as it's on the floor he covers it with his foot and takes another one an identical drive out of his sock and uses that one instead so he switched these thumb drives whatever was on that one whatever the the bond dna that's now been switched um, and he puts it into the briefcase laptop thing, and, and you see on the screen it's kind of loading all these target profiles, it says, and then it finally says it's been weaponized. And from that, he uh, takes out the vial, the same sort of vials that we saw earlier on in the lab, and hands it over to Eyeball Guy, who takes it and goes and puts it in, uh, goes out and goes to a separate section and puts it in the ventilation system for this building. Uh, plugs it into the gas system anyway and once that has been done we cut back to bond and paloma they now enter the the building properly there's this party going on uh very busy lots of dancers lots of music and they're looking around and they they realize like this is specter's party this is that that gathering that um felix and logan mentioned about and so they're walking through looking at all these it's very different sort of uh specter meeting than <laughs> The last time we saw this, they're all they're all you know dancing, kissing, and you know having a great time. Uh, at one point, Bond looks up and spots Cyclops as he dubs him. Oh, maybe I should have stuck with Cyclops. Uh, yeah, eyeball guy, and uh, he, uh, he had an eye-opening experience with him uh, in Italy uh, because yeah, obviously by this point he's talking to Paloma through the the earpieces. So. The Paloma spots that they're wearing earpieces, or maybe Bond does, one of them does. And so Paloma changes the frequency on their earbuds to try and listen in to whatever these other Spectre agents are listening to. And eventually the voice comes through and it's Blofeld. You hear it's Blofeld talking about his, you know, his, his mumbling and rambling as he was before, but you, you do hear spots of it and talking about like his crowning day um, is what he mentions. At that point, Paloma spots Obrachev. He's come from that room. He's now up, coming down the stairs and uh, focuses on him, like, tracks him, keeps an eye on him, whilst Bond goes and uh, finds out more about what's going on with this stuff. And as he kind of reaches this middle part of the, the room, the building, big crowd of people, you can see 
there's this old man with a pillow, very ornate looking pillow, and on top of the pillow is a little eyeball, much like the eyeball we saw pop out of Eyeball Guy's head. And this old man is like moving the pillow around. We saw him a couple times before as well, like crouching down and showing this eyeball to people. And eventually he points this eyeball straight to Bond, who is in the middle. And he kind of realizes by the end that like, yeah, everyone else has sort of moved out of the way and it's now just just him right in the middle of the room. And you hear Blofeld talking and eventually he's, he starts to say about uh, the ending of a pariah and his brother, James Bond. And the music stopped. There's a big spotlight on him as he says this on Bond. And he says, goodbye, James. And there's this dr- there's actually, I think there's a drum roll. <laughs> I wrote down drum roll as something is about to happen. It's all gone quiet. Eyeball guy triggers the gas from uh, from the ceiling, from that ventilation system. And all this gas starts to descend upon the crowd. And as this is happening, Blofeld is saying, uh, it's all crawling under your skin. Uh, don't worry, the rest of you will, will be will be fine. And as he says that, uh, people around Bond start to to die, or they like, you know you start to see them get affected by this gas that's around them, and like weird bubbling starts to form on their face, and they start choking blood, and people dropping dead all around. And not Bond. Bond is just fine in the middle. He's kind of looking and taking around everything that's going on around him. And if you hadn't realised that it was all the Spectre agents that are dying, Obrachov is in the background. Very helpfully, he says, it is working. Only the Spectre agents are dying. So thanks. Thanks, Obrachov. Hmm. Uh, <laughs> he's going to be there. Like If it wasn't him, it would be Tanner. He'd come in <laughs> just around the corner. Uh, but yeah, they're all they're all dying, and at this point, uh, Paloma spots Obrachev, and they, they kind of, I think he says something like, "Oh, are you with me, or are you working with me, or, or something along those lines?" And kind of quickly realizes no, so he he goes to run off, and Bond grabs a drinks tray and takes a drink off of it and frisbees it to to whack Obrachev in the back of the in the back just to knock him down. Um, and then he also next to drink afterwards, which was nice. And he's trying to uh, swallow the thumb drive Obuchov on the floor, but before he does, it kind of gets he gets whacked from behind, and it spits out of his mouth. And Bond picks it up, so he's now got what you know that that drive and whatever was on it. And at this point, everyone is fleeing the party. You know, everyone's screaming, and Paloma starts to shoot some of the guards that are coming around, like the Spectre guards that are coming around to try and shoot them. And they're kind of in the middle of the, like, just near the doorway at this point, the entrance. And above them is this big glass ceiling. That's right where Obrachov is standing. And at that point, Nomi uh, smashes through the glass ceiling. She she repels down and and uh, grabs Obrachov and can't remember what she says. Do you know uh, what she says? May I drop in? Is that actually what she says? Yeah. <laughs> okay. She, uh, she says that and then grabs him and... And whisks him back up as well. So she's been watching the whole time, clearly, and uh, got the uh, found the, the moment to to grab him. And then you kind of get a little bit of, of three different viewpoints from this point on now, because yeah, we now know that Nomi is here and she's kidnapped Obertov. Um Paloma is there; she's taken out some more of the men. Bond goes after them, goes after Nomi and, and Obertov, and, and spots them running along the rooftop 
from below. So you see Nomi try to grapple, or she does grapple across to the, the building on the other side of the street to escape, but Bond shoots out one of the hooks in the wall, which causes the whole thing to collapse. And instead of going over to the other roof, they smash down into uh, one of the balconies instead. I think at, at this point, Bond says about, oh, you know, it's getting hairy or something, or they need a car anyway. Uh, Nomi is... Not Nomi, I don't know why I wrote Nomi there. Paloma is is still taken on guards, but she I think she gets out of bullets at one point, so instead she starts just to, to whack them with the gun and, and takes them all out hand-to-hand instead, kicking them and everything. And it's uh, the music switches here as well to something a bit more Cuban as she's doing this in, in the big red dress. Very stylish, very cool as she does all that. Um, Bond is tackling guys at the top still, and eventually they fall down, uh, kind of similar to Quantum of Solace, like they fall down the shot uh, onto the bar, and yeah, that's them taken care of. Bond stands up, brushes himself off. Nomi on the other side is getting shot by other guards with Obrachov, so everyone's having a bit of an issue here. Getting up from the bar, Bond quickly pours a drink for him and Paloma, and they quickly salute to each other. Uh, but that they still need the car. So outside, um, or Bond like, uh, skids over the bar and grabs a gun and very confidently starts to shoot everyone outside, all the guards that are shooting Nomi as well. Uh, Paloma finds a car, like, kicks her body out from it, because I think she shot them before. And whilst in the car, she also spots a, a Cuban cigar as well. Arbachov, who's with Nomi, is trying to... I think she's, he says, like, where are you taking me? And she goes back to back to mother darling or something like that and he's like no 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 not going back there that he starts to make an escape himself scientist and he ends up on sort of like wooden scaffolding i guess with this in between the buildings and at that point paloma sees that and just drives with the car straight into all this scaffolding at the bottom to knock him down the street level so now he's next to her in the car oh yeah that's when she finds the cigar and Bond has caught up to him, so the three of them now uh, are trying to escape from all of the, the gunfire. I think by this point the police have arrived as well, so they hide behind some columns and eventually Paloma opens a door to escape through there. Uh, Nomi is getting arrested by by police, although she puts her hands up, but eventually at the last second shoots out a, a power line, which kind of chain reactions and gives her a chance to escape as well. And just to wrap up the scene, Bond is there with Paloma and Obuchev, and Bond says to her, you are excellent. And uh, she says, so are you. And that's her time to leave now. And so they say ciao, and Bond heads down uh, down an alleyway with Obuchev. And, and that's kind of that whole, that scene over. It's <laughs> kind of hard to describe that one, because there's a lot going on towards the end there. But um, that like, wraps up this whole section in Cuba. And I I really love this whole bit of the film. I think from the beginning bit, seeing Paloma, like that you talked about, Tom, up until this end bit, this is like pure Bond. This is this is everything you kind of want to see in in a Bond film. I think it was it was funny. It had good action. It was charming. It was cool, stylish. Had the music was good. Ah, oh, this is probably still my favorite part of the film, actually. Hmm. That's, yeah. It's definitely really good. Uh, yeah, I guess I'm trying to split it in two ways in my head. So I guess focusing still on the action thing. Yeah, that is a, a ton of fun. 
And I think I've mentioned before about how the, the story set of this of having all these people in the same location trying to grab the same person was a good setup. And yeah, it mostly pay, it pays off and it is uh, fun to see. It's fun to see Bond and Paloma just doing their thing. And yeah, it's another Spectre party, but yeah, and it all kind of kicks off and stuff. So yeah, it's it's definitely interesting. It's nice to see because I guess the general idea with there now being two 007s in a way is that you get to see them both do their thing in one location and they mm. kind of make the most of that for the most part. We also get Paloma doing her thing as well, which is quite nice. It's It means you kind of get some different sort of action and a different way of fighting. So you almost get like three styles of shooting people here. You get Bond's way, you get Nobi's way, and you get Paloma's way. And seeing those all kind of contrast and bounce off each other while they're just wiping out a load of Spectre agents, like, yeah, that's a, that's a ton of fun. And they do kind of treat it as such. It's not super serious. It's just cool when it wants to be cool. And it's silly when it wants to be silly. And it kind of jumps between the two quite well with some nice little moments. Like the drink moment is really cool. Bond and Paloma just meeting up for a quick drink while they talk about what they're going to do next. And then just splitting up. And you get a very confident Bond just walking into the street with a gun. And just like getting back into the fray and... Yeah, also the moment that always stands out to me is Paloma spinning on the floor, shooting, because yeah. she knocks out the people, then gets a gun, spins on the floor and manages to shoot three of them. It's quite similar to what Bond does in Skyfall when um he's on the island with Silver, and then when he kind of manages to turn the tide. It's quite like that, but yeah, visually it's quite distinct because she's in this dress and it kind of as she spins as well, it's a, a little bit more different. So yeah, that stuff's all quite fun. I don't know if I would say it's my favourite part of the film. I think there's there's stuff that I find a little bit more interesting, some action that I think stands out a little bit more, but definitely one that like ticks all the Bond boxes. And it's kind of like what Sam Mendes does in a way where you kind of, at the beginning, if you want your more classic Bond stuff, you, you make sure you put that in the first half, just so kind of it, it settles in. Yes, they've done a ton of stuff to separate this film from other Bond films to make it feel differently. But still, you got to get something in there. That feels a bit yeah. more classic. you got to get that in. So it makes sense you would have this quite early on. Yeah, and I, I think it, it works in its succinctness as well, where I know a lot of people, when they saw this, uh, a lot of the uh, discussion was about how much they liked this Paloma character, and Anna de Armas played, played her very well and very fun, and as I said, very charmingly, and totally agree and they were saying oh, it's a shame that she wasn't in the film for longer. But actually, and I remember thinking this, even seeing it fresh in the cinema, I think that's actually why it works, is that she is just she just comes in, has this fun scene with Bond, and it moves on. And I think I'd rather have too little and enjoy it rather than a character being, you know, outstaying their welcome. Uh so that's for me, that's why this scene kind of works as just a little talking about bubbles, Bond being in a bubble. This is a nice little bubble of a scene where I could watch this and just enjoy it. Yeah, I don't know why people have to... Like, that feedback keeps coming back, but to me it never makes sense. Like, some characters in a Bond film are just there for one part of the film. That's fine. There's yeah. so many characters in the film, why do you want more? So I guess if you're like, oh, I would quite like to see her more, I can understand that. But no, like, the Bond, Bond films need characters that are just more for one bit, and she kind of... Fluid. Yeah, like, she just nails it for the bit that she's in. I don't quite understand the whole thing about her saying about three weeks training and then bond's like hmm, well that's not true and then that's kind of that <laughs> but 
I don't know, I guess it's part of the humorous part of her character, that that's clearly not true, and she does all mm. this amazing stuff, and it's surprising, I suppose, but I, I guess it's fine, but it's that's not the stuff I find all that interesting. I, I don't quite get why they had that uh, happen. I'm not too sure either, to be honest with you. Um, what was the other thing I was going to mention? Oh, right, yeah, the... <laughs> and... Uh, it's been quite obvious in, in a lot of these podcast episodes that I I can handle quite a lot of cheese when it comes to Bond. Uh, there is a line. I do have a line, but I, I do quite like some cheesier elements. And I think just the, the imagery of the eyeball on the pillow held by like a butler is just so absurd. Yeah. <laughs> but like the idea is that Blofeld is there, but he's not. And he's I, I think it works. It works in it just being so kind of silly um i'm really pleased that the film has these elements of silliness because otherwise it would where where we eventually lead to i think it would be too bleak for me but you know you're right we, it does have a lot of comedic bits in it and i think that in itself is just quite a a stupid almost that's almost a bit of a throwback to just like sillier villain things in in old films so i was all for that yeah like going back to the spectre stuff because yeah you had everything that happened at the party before we then kicked off and when I first watched it, I was a little bit disappointed by all that stuff or just kind of confused because you don't 100% know what's happening, but it is kind of just setting up like, oh yeah, and then everyone in Spectre died. And uh, it just gave me this feeling of they're really trying to like speed past the stuff that the last film with Spectre had so they can get to their stuff where it's like, Swan broke up, here's Spectre, they're all dead now, let's go. Uh, but now that I know where this film goes and I kind of understand what's happening in this scene i can just really Mm. enjoy it i think that stuff's really great i love how over the top this kind of is and i love bond going through the party and you got people in suits kind of looking at him as he goes and yeah there's an understanding that he knows who specter are and they know who he is but they're all just having a party anyway that creates a really cool feeling that i enjoy and yeah just the silliness of the eyeball and when Bond's in the middle of the room with a light shining on him, it's so silly. Like, yeah. <laughs> like, Bond's not really surprised by it, I don't feel. Like, it's just kind of, yeah, it's very kind of spectre and silly. And I love that moment where, again, where the gas comes down from the ceiling and Bond looks up and see the spectre logo. I'm just like, that's mm. brilliant. Like, I Who love, painted that? <laughs> yeah, like, I love that they just, whenever they initiate their plan, like with the Vesper Grave, they just get their logo in there. They just can't help themselves. I, I really enjoy that stuff. So, yeah, initially when I saw the scene, I, I didn't really like that, that all that much. But it's because I didn't know what was happening. And I don't think you're supposed to fully know what has happened here. But now that I've seen it before and I understand it, I can just enjoy the silliness of this Spectre party and Blowville being like, I will have my revenge, James Bond, goodbye. And then it all goes wrong. <laughs> it's just, I can just enjoy that stuff now. I think it's a much stronger and a second viewing, this scene. Yeah. And with that, you have reached the end of part one of episode 25 of the Bond Revisited podcast. Join myself and Tom next time where Bond has to escape a sinking ship with Felix, M reveals what Heracles is and his part in all of this, and Bond has a catch-up with his imprisoned brother. Thank you very much for listening, and we'll see you for part two.